What's up, everything? There's finally hope on the horizon for the St. Louis Blues, and that hope is in the form of Jordan Benenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenenen
I know that. Um, but at least he knows he doesn't know. Let's see. Russia. Those are the easy ones. Those are easy. U.S., Canada, Sweden, Finland, Russia. <laughs> Let's see. Czech. Czech. Who, who represents the Czech Republic, Ian? Oh, I won't. I'm, I'm not guessing anything. Oh, okay. I'm guessing only the country. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, ooh, if I don't think... I don't think that Kings player... <laughs> there. I was just talking to my dad about yesterday, and I forgot. Kopitar. Kopitar. Thank oh, you. He's like no slow. No Slovenian. Slovenian. Is that where he's from? What a mm-hmm. weirdo. Um, you know, what? and I'll guess. Um, there's gonna be one more. I don't know how. We'll say think Slovakia. Of, think about the best players in the league. I'm trying. Okay, well, uh, hey, listen, you got the number <laughs> right. The number is seven. The oh, it's con- seven. Oh. The country you're forgetting is Germany, represented Uh-oh. by Leon Dreisaitl, the Deutschland angular. Uh, Czech Republic's lone representative is David Posternak. Oh, there you go. Russia's obviously got Ovechkin and Kucherov, who actually are bookending the top 20 right now. Finland's only representative in the top 20 is Mika Rantanen. Because um, I guess Line doesn't have many assists. And then Sweden and the U.S. and Canada all obviously have multiple representatives. So that was an interesting trivia question. Um, another thing I found out today is that, and I won't ask you to guess blindly on this one, is that Justin Williams scored his 300th NHL goal earlier this week, as I believe did John Tavares, but when Justin Williams did it, he became the 250th player in NHL history to do that. So congratulations to Mr. Game 7 himself, Justin Williams. Okay, Anything else that you want to talk about trivia before we get into the meat of this podcast? How old is Justin Williams? A thousand. <laughs> I, like, I have no idea. I was I'm th- guessing. I was thinking when, when they said Justin Williams scored his 301st goal, he's 37 years old. Um, they said he scored his 301st goal in the game I was watching some of thanks to my new NHL TV subscription. And I was like, hey, he's one goal better than John Tavares. And then I was like, he's also a decade older than John Tavares. <laughs> but who cares you, about that? Yeah, Justin Williams won a cup in Carolina, right? Yes. I'm pretty sure. Wow, yes. he's old. That is true. I believe he did. Um, so why don't we go ahead and move on? Uh, we're going to do a little bit of business, hopefully shortly, uh, before we dive into the meat. But uh, we just wanted to say that you and I had a, a deep heart-to-heart about where this podcast is going, and we're canceling it. No, <laughs> uh, No, we, we met and discussed a lot of things last week, uh, and one of the things that we are in the process of starting is a Patreon account, which I hate saying because I don't want to be one of those people, but I am. Um, we're setting up a Patreon just because why not? No, uh, we, we just really want to make 
this podcast the best that it can be. I don't think either of us ever started or expected or even expect currently to actually make a profit from this podcast in any way, but we'd like to, you know, handle some of the expenses as best we can. Um, and we'd like to, you know, be able to do more tech upgrades and, you know, pay some of the people that are, um, helping us out if need be with graphics and different things and just stuff like that. So, uh, for the time being, all this means for you as a listener is really not a lot. Uh, but if you're interested in supporting, I'd, we'd love it if you just let us know. Um, you know, it's probably typical Patreon is like $5 a month. I, we haven't really talked about, uh, where we're setting that, but that, you know, that's kind of the ballpark probably. And then the other big thing we're talking about right now is, you know, we do additional content, obviously, uh, for Patreon supporters. Um, so if you have any kind of ideas or anything you'd like to see us do for that sort of, uh, additional comment content, we'd love to hear, uh, from you about that as well. So that's kind of one of the many things we're working on. One of the many channels we're pursuing right now. Some of them are less exciting. Some of them are more, but hopefully we'll be able to tell you about lots of them in the near future. Ian, did you have anything to add about how we're now money grubbing man whores? I hate it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you summed it up pretty well. It's, it's you know, it's just kind of a small but logical step in where we want to take this podcast. And so it's no it's no pressure on anyone. It's no asking for anything or anyone. But it's it's just there if you want to, you know, be generous and donate more or less. Thank you for adding that because that was something I definitely meant to say. Anyone who wants to just listen to the podcast once a week and hang out with us on Twitter, a thousand percent, that's cool. This is just a way for, we've actually had some people ask how they can support the podcast, and I've had at least one person ask specifically for us to start a Patreon, uh, which is the weirdest thing in the world that's ever happened to me. Um, so, because people don't usually walk up to me and say, hey, let me give you money. But anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, we thought that. This would be a good way to start. And again, it's really about uh, covering expenses like, you know, hosting the podcast on SoundCloud, getting better equipment, things like that. It's not like we're trying to line our own pockets. So uh, we'll give you more information on that as it comes available. But for the time being, if you're interested in supporting or you have ideas for what our additional content could be, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So, with the dirty, dirty business stuff out of the way, uh, I guess we can log leap into a story that seems old-ish now, because it's been a week since we've recorded, and a very busy week, as uh, we're kind of rounding into the hectic part of the blues season. Um, but it's a story that maybe, you know, obviously it made the rounds in St. Louis, but maybe didn't get the coverage it really deserved, and that's the whole... Clem uh, Costin ending up as the World Junior Championship supervillain incidents uh, that <laughs> took place over, I guess it was last weekend after we recorded on Thursday or Friday. Um, so for those of you that don't know, I guess we can just, the big picture is the World Junior Championship is an under 20 uh, national tournament where eight teams from different countries, 10 teams from different countries come together and play in this tournament. Most of you know that. 
Um, but for those of you that don't, that's kind of the skinny. And this year it was being hosted in British Columbia. Uh, Vancouver and Victoria, I think, were the two host cities. Um, and the Russians played the Canadians in the last game of the preliminary round, I want to say. Uh, Quim, obviously a Blues prospect, drafted, was it 31st overall in 2017? Is that right, Ian? Yeah, I believe so. Um he was the captain of Team Russia, so uh, he was uh, involved in a play during the game against Canada where he hit, he arguably cross-checked, but pretty lightly cross-checked uh, the Canadian captain, Maxime Comtois, and Comtois crumpled like an old Kleenex onto the ice. Now, <laughs> with due respect to Comtois, it did come out later in the week that he had suffered from like a separated shoulder. So that may have been before this incident happened. And that might've been part of the reason why he went down so easily. Uh, obviously the hit didn't separate his shoulder, but you know, maybe it was an injured shoulder already that he kind of cross checked. I would say that it was more of a dive than that, but you know, I don't want to be the Homer here. Who's taking cost inside. Uh, but the incident really didn't start there. It started during the intermission when Costin called him out for his dive, and he said to the media through a translator, I love this. In his previous life, he worked at a circus. Didn't you know that? Perhaps he watched the World Cup of Soccer. Neymar is probably his best friend. And for those of you that don't know, <laughs> Neymar is the Brazilian player who's very synonymous with diving. Um, so the Canadian fans, sensing that a hockey player might have expressed some personality in some way, turned on him immediately en masse. Uh, and the Russians beat the Canadians in that game, which I'm sure didn't have anything to do with it because Canadians are all incredibly wonderful people who would never uh, allow the outcome of a hockey game to dictate how they treat people. Uh, but in any case, the <laughs> Canadian crowd turned on Costin for the rest of the tournament, booing him when he was whenever he was on the ice and, you know, just generally treating a 19-year-old foreigner like uh, trash, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how else yeah. to say it. Um, so after this, I guess he played two more games before the incident. After the second game, he played the United States in the semifinals and Russia lost. Uh, and Costin had a bit of a meltdown. Uh, boos were raining down on him from the crowd and he was skating over to accept a watch for being a top three player in the tournament for his team. Uh, he took off his helmet and kind of tossed it into the board. He handed off the watch to someone off screen, sort of reminiscent of Leas Anderson's throwing his medal into the crowd, but not that because he probably handed it to a you know, trainer or somebody who was going to keep it for him later. And he sort of refused to look at the team picture that they were taking of him afterwards, and then he mouthed fuck you to the fans as he skated off. So it wasn't a great look for Clem. I don't think anyone is <laughs> necessarily saying that it was, but he came out the following day with an apology on Twitter. He said, when I left the ice after our loss to the United States, I was shown a video of what happened and how I acted. I would like to apologize. I'm no different than any American or Canadian. I wanted to win badly for my teammates, my family, and my country. The loss was painful and hard. In my disappointment and hurt, I acted poorly. Apologies to the American players. Apologies to the fans in Vancouver. 
and all the hockey fans who are watching. I shouldn't have acted that way. After seeing the video, I realized that is not how I want to represent myself, my family, and my country. Please accept my apologies, Clem. Uh, so he tweeted that out before the bronze medal game to the Swiss. I think it sounded sincere. How do you feel about the apology, Ian? Yeah, I mean, I think it it felt sincere, and I'm sure he does feel a little remorseful for what he did on the ice. I do know that they he ended up going with a different man or not manager, a different um, translator. No, sorry, agent. My agent. brain's okay. whack today. A different agent or a different agent group. And so some people were speculating that maybe the agent was the one that pushed the apology on him mm. and that he really didn't want to apologize. And so he's going to this different group. I'm not entirely sure, but I do think Clem just after looking at that, it makes sense that he might be like, well, I should, you know, say something, even if it was kind of a little fear there for maybe someone that's a, I would say, I don't know, a mature adult. Not that this necessarily indicates that he's not overly mature, but just that. It's someone that's seeing the whole situation and maybe his career from, you know, a uh, 2,000 foot view. Yeah, I think, but, I think that's fair. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, um, but I I like, <laughs> it's a bad look, but I still kind of like the look. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's someone that really cares, someone that wants to win. Um, it's a little different now, but I still remember the year we got eliminated by the Kings in 2013, I want to say, um, Jane Schwartz wasn't able to get back to break up some play and game ended OT. He was skating off the ice and he just smashed his stick over the board, just obliterated it. And that's when he was like brand new. And I was like, I love this. Yeah. Like I, anything where you're just in it to win it. And it's a huge tournament. It's not like you just lost a game where his team hung him out to dry and it's game number 20 and some losing streak and you're like man you got to lead better this was this was the tournament yeah you're absolutely. gonna be pissed absolutely and i think we'll you know we'll touch on that a little more too because there's a little more to the story of because there's still another incident to come so to speak uh but yeah i mean i think the apology itself seemed fairly sincere i saw some people speculating too that it was team russia that forced him to do it which honestly mm. doesn't sound like a team russia move i don't know <laughs> maybe i'm too conditioned by the mighty ducks to believe that the russians or the Finns <laughs> could ever be they're evil <laughs> exactly but um yeah so Anyway, the apology happened, and then he went on to play the Swiss. Uh, the Swiss obviously were heavy underdogs in the Ru against the Russians, even in a bronze medal game. Uh, but it was a pretty tight game through two, uh, and then Costin scored the what I think turned out to be the game-winning goal on an absolute clapper. Uh, it was a really nice shot. You should go find. You can probably just you know search him on Twitter and still find it. Um, but yeah, that was a really beautiful goal. And then as the crowd still booed him loudly, uh, he skated towards the board with his fingers in his ears, which was his kind <laughs> of goal celebration slash taunt. And honestly, I love it. I really do. Um, but then at the you know at the end of all of this, he uh, had to accept the bronze medal for Team Russia, and he um, you know went over and 
sort of ex- just accepted it and then sort of saluted and applauded the crowd uh, even as he was being booed. And he gave his stick to uh, a child in the crowd, which I thought was a cool move. Obviously, the kid is just a kid and not a horrible adult Canadian. Um, it hadn't hadn't fully evolved yet. Yeah, it's like they evolved into just bastards. <laughs> uh, and then he sort of explained the taunt by saying, the crowd was booing the team and me personally. When I scored, it was automatic, but I wasn't trying to offend anyone. Eh, maybe not. Uh, but in any case, so yeah, I mean, I think just to just to kind of put a bow on this, I really agree with you that I kind of love this. I mean, I think first and foremost, the the World Juniors, and I, I think Elliot um, Friedman and Jeff Merrick had a really interesting discussion of this this week on Thirty One Thoughts, and they talked about it as kind of it's just such a weird tournament because the stakes are so high and they're so inflated and your opportunities to do it are so few you know if you if you're a really amazing hockey player you're going to get fewer opportunities in the world juniors than you might get in the olympics you know Mm -hmm. because if you're really good and the nhl goes every year you could be in three or four olympics you're never going to be in especially if you're really good you're probably only going to be in one maybe two world juniors um so it's a big deal and canada you know it's not a huge deal here in any way but canada treats it as a massive 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 deal and so the stakes are incredibly high but then it's 19 year old kids playing in it the 19 year olds are the adults of the group you know it's 18 year olds 17 year olds the occasional 16 year old and it's just it's a weird juxtaposition, you know, because like 19 year olds were we remember ourselves when we were 19s and we were idiots, you know, <laughs> feels just like yesterday. It does. Friedman kept using the word cement heads, which I've never heard. I guess it's Canadian, but I kind of liked it. And so it's just like to me, not enough people were like, hey, Canada, you all are kind of shitheads for booing a 19-year-old kid for making a joke about someone diving, you know? Like, mm-hmm. the the reaction from the crowd to me was not proportionate to what he did or said. Uh, but then, you know, just speaking about him individually, I kind of love that he's playing that natural sort of heel role to steal a term from wrestling. And he reminds me of the kind of player that Brad Marchand is, where it's like you hate him, but if he's on your team, you're absolutely in love with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if he could fill that role, I think it's one that we desperately need on this team. Uh, like yeah. you were saying, kind of the same way Schwartz was just because like this team, we'll talk about it. Actually, there's a lot of, a lot to be excited about this week, but this team is so flat overall and it doesn't seem like they have anybody, you know, outside of maybe Shin, they d- doesn't seem like they have anybody who gets really angry or fired up, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, even, you need someone that gives this team a pulse. Yeah, even I O'Reilly, mean, I think, I think yeah. he gives 110% all the time, but you don't necessarily see him as the guy who's going to, like, scream and cuss at people if things aren't going right. Yeah, like, at least, I guess Bacchus wasn't really a huge yeller either, but it just felt like he was a little bit of a hothead sometimes. We saw him have the red mist every once in a while. I mean... 
Reeves was imposing, but in a much you know different fashion. Mm-hmm. I just think we need a character on this team. I I like this team, uh, especially. I mean, personnel wise, generally, you know, even though they say they have locker room problems, I don't really have a problem with anyone on this team. But at the same time, I think a lot of that is because everyone's very very kind of bland and very flat. Mm-hmm. You know, you got some guys that are funny and whatnot, but it's like I just need that guy that's like pissed and is like starts you know start some sort of verbal war, which is really all I can ask for in the NHL with a Predators player or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm down with that. And I think Clem could be the guy. I saw Lou Korak on Twitter today kind of arguing that the team should give him his 10 games in the NHL this year that would, you know, allow him to get a taste of the league without being exposed to uh, the potential dangers of the um, expansion draft. And I'm I'm all for it. I'd love to see this kid in a Blues uni before long. Um, why don't we go ahead and move on to talking about Blues injuries? So Bozak, uh, Thomas, and Steen are now on the shelf. Obviously, we'll kind of talk about especially the Thomas injury as it comes up. Um, but Bozak got what's his is like an upper body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Steen has the shoulder injury that he suffered after being hit, uh, by man, my brain is failing me right now. Remembering who hit him. <laughs> we'll come across it somewhere in these notes, I assume. Uh, but in any case, none of the three are making the road trip with the team right now. Hopefully none of them are too serious. Thomas has looked really nasty, uh, after kind of colliding with, uh, Luke Kanoff. That is his name, I believe. Um, so uh, we'll talk about them as they come up. But yeah, hopefully none of them are terribly serious, especially the Thomas one. That would be really devastating, right, as he's getting red hot. But uh, yeah, they, that remains to be seen. They're on the shelf for the time being. So let's go ahead and dive into these game recaps. And we kind of kick it off with the New York Islanders beating the Blues 4-3. to This was a long time ago, it feels like, even though it was less than a week ago. And it wasn't fun, so we won't dwell on it terribly long. Uh, Maroon was scratched coming into this game. Sanford is back in for the first time since December 9th. And they made the decision to scratch Joel Edmondson, which was and remains pretty quizzical to me. Um, what did you think about kind of those decisions, Ian? Uh, you know, Berube seems to have a board that he just doesn't dart at as far as <laughs> who he's going to scratch. I mean, really, and, and I'm Alex sure they're Steen right. Is not I'm, on the board. Yeah, yeah. I like. I'm. I'm sure they're right. I'm sure he has his reasons. And to be honest, as a fan, unless I really going out of my way to pay attention to a specific player, I come just sort of watching the play as it happens and not really, you know, looking to who's doing what. So Edmondson might have been, you know, I know he's been pushed down the line uh, a little bit here, so I kind of understood that this was the next logical step, but I didn't really necessarily know why. Like, I hadn't really seen him do anything specifically wrong. Um, you know, I'd, again, it might just be Ruby trying to get different guys to sit and get a look at what they're doing, and it might not really be that they're doing anything terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think we can talk about Maroon more maybe later, but... I yeah, that it, one's a little... There's a little more of a storyline, I think. Yeah, but it also makes more sense. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about the game. The the Blues... T- oh, excuse me. I bit my lip. The Blues started pretty hard, pretty hot. Um, 
Pareko had a nice chance on a wraparound, and then four minutes in, uh, Braden Shin scored his eighth of the season, assisted by Jaden Schwartz. And the red-hot Jay Bomeister, uh, Jay Bomeister took a nice <laughs> shot from the point that got through some bodies, and Schwartz sort of settled it really well and tucked it around the last defender for Shin to get that and bury it in the open goal. It was a nice little, nice little opening goal. Uh, later in the period, um, the Blues got their second goal with about four minutes left. Sanford scored. Uh, Vince Dunn and Tyler Bozak assisted back when the latter was alive. Uh, this was one of those weird times where J.K. and Panger seem really prophetic uh, because they were talking about how hard Sanford worked on deflections and how big a game it was for him to kind of prove his medal after being out for so long since he'd been gone since December 9th. And... Believe it or not, Samford scored with a deflection. Um, he sort of left it along the board for Bozak, who passed out to Dunn, and Dunn took a big slapper from the point that Samford knocked out of big midair uh, for the go-ahead or for the two-goal lead and a big goal for him. It was promising uh, for the Blues until the sort of collapse that happened later. The second period was... Largely uneventful. Matt Martin scored pretty early in, and as I tweeted at the time, it's never really a good sign if Matt Martin is scoring on you. Uh, <laughs> if you're playing in like the halfway point of the season and your opponent's combined point total, or you know, if their point goals and assists add up to 16, that's not very good. But anyway, Martin scored his fifth <laughs> goal of the season with Sezikis's sixth and Clutterbuck's fifth. Uh, assists. Uh, they won kind of a defensive zone face-off. Not kind of a defensive zone face-off. They just won a defensive zone face-off. <laughs> How would you have kind of a defensive zone face-off? No, when you're like outside the zone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zone, there you go. But, like, there you I go. Mean, but not really. Zone zone. <laughs> uh, anyway, they won their kind of defensive zone face-off. Clutterbuck sped out the ice and really like sped out the ice. I didn't know he was pretty quick. He was along the wall and he got past Gunnarsson in the corner, which isn't a big surprise. He passed it off to Sezikis behind him and Sezikis passed it in front uh, between Petro and Bozak and Martin banged it home. It was a fine little goal, uh, but it wasn't one that you want to have scored on you by those guys. Um, you should not get outskilled by Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck, especially of those three, and Casey Sezikis isn't leaps and bounds better. Uh, but the real collapse sort of happened in the third period. I'm saying sort of a lot tonight. <laughs> Without you in front of me, it's very different. It's very strange. I can uh, get away with whatever I want to say. <laughs> Whatever you want to do and whatever you want to say. Jordan Everly scored 8 minutes and 27 seconds in. That will be very important. Uh, his eighth goal of the season assisted by Anders Lee, 15, and Adam Pellich, 5. Uh, Eberle got the puck behind and skated around. He shot it, and the puck goes between Allen's arm and his body. It was not a good look. I was apparently <laughs> angry when I wrote these notes because there are more swear words there than I just said. Uh, but it was not a particularly good goal, which uh, is sort of a foretaste of... Yeah, it's, it feels like it's sort of a foretaste of what's going to happen uh, the rest of the week with the goaltending, but we'll get there when we will cross that bridge when we come to it, as they say. Don't cross any bridges tonight, though, because you're going to drown in the icy water. Um, the Stephen, I always say, um, 
when it's cold outside, you don't want to cross bridges. Just kind of like how you don't want to cross people when they're being cold. Uh, I'd like to live by that, and it's one of my many um, platitudes I stand upon. I'm sure we'll never be hearing about that one again. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, I, I feel like that deserves a sidebar of explanation. Uh, the 31 Thoughts podcast is terrific, and we both love it, and it's very informative. Uh, but... Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick both have a tendency to kind of like, I just kind of speak in, like you said, sort of platitudes or like philosophical statements. And they'll say (laughs) things like, I always say, or I'll always remember this lesson so-and-so taught me or like all these things. And then it will be like either very specific, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's not like broadly generalizable in any way or so general that you're kind of like why was that worth saying you know <laughs> you so, could say that so, all the time <laughs> I always, that's why i do i always say tuesday comes after monday like yeah <laughs> that would be some dumb thing they would say and like yeah but that's what it means is it's like it's an obvious thing but they think it's that's profound. what we talk about in some mm-hmm. way, yeah. So if you hear us say, I always say, or I'll always remember, it's a nod to those wonderful people. It's a great podcast. Go listen to it. They don't need our help. We're not We're not being paid to plug 31 Thoughts. Anyway, 838. Uh, remember, the last goal happened at 827, so all of 11 seconds later, maybe it was 11.2, maybe it was 10.8, who knows. Uh, but Johnny Boychuk scored his third goal of the season, assisted by Casey Sezikis who started uh, this 14-second portion of the game with just five assists on the season. Oh, no, his other assist was earlier. Never mind, people. False alarm. Anyway, (laughs) Boychuk scores his third goal of the season. Uh, They won the faceoff and immediately got the puck in behind. Allen botched a clearance to Gunnarsson, who even worse botched a clearance to Sezikis, uh, because Sezikis is an opponent. He got it out to (laughs) Boychuk, who had what I would say is a really amazing seeing-eye slap shot uh, right between Petrangelo and Martin and over Allen's shoulder. Uh, That was nobody's fault, and there's certainly nothing Allen could have done about it. So remember I said that later when I'm burying him um, because I want some (laughs) credit. That was the olive branch. (laughs) But it was a bad goal, obviously, 11 seconds later to concede, to go from 2-1 to to 3-2 to losing in 11 seconds is not good, especially for a team that is not long on confidence. Uh, There was a play here where the Blues got a power play. Man, this feels like a long time ago. Uh, And O'Reilly hit Tarasenko with a beautiful pass on the ensuing power play, and Tarasenko kicked it in very clearly. Uh, The refs called it no goal on the ice and then reviewed it and called it no goal, and there was some outrage by the fans, which I really do not understand because to me it was pretty cut and dried that he had kicked it in. And even Tarasenko seemed to sort of resign himself to that as soon as it went in the net. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, did you feel any differently about that, Ian? No, it's, just, it's always just funny to hear fans freak out. I think you always just have the the crowd mentality of like, oh, we're going to boo this, oh, we're going to cheer that. Yeah, I was just like booing, true. booing and booing and booing for the kick in. And I was like, well, I mean, I think we all know, but eh, we're drunken at <laughs> Enterprise Center, so let's start booing. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's too bad because 
at least at this point, Tarasenko is really dying for a goal. So mm-hmm. I think he would have taken anything. Yeah. Uh, Anders Lee sort of sealed the Blues' fate later because I didn't write down the timestamp. Uh, his 15th <laughs> goal of the season. Uh, Devin Taves, not related, I believe, to Jonathan. And Scott Mayfield on the assists. Uh, Taves had a pretty two-line pass along the boards to Lee, who is sprinting in. Lee is the captain of the New York Islanders, as I'm sure you all knew, and he shot it on. Allen had no rebound control. Absolutely terrible. It hit his stick and not his pad. It was just, it was bad. It was bad in every way, and Lee collected his own rebound, obviously, without oh, anyone right. boxing him out, and buried it. What did you think of this goal? Folks, let's not forget, like, really... Let's not forget these goals because it wasn't just a Dallas game that buried Jake Allen in the eyes of fans. It was everything leading up to the Dallas game. It was everything that came before it. And this was most certainly one of those goals where it was like, yeah, he should, the defense blew it. This guy's in alone. Someone could have, you know, collected Anders Lee basically and shoved him out from in front of Allen. It's a very quick game. But Allen has the puck, like, right in front of him. It's, like, under his pad, then out of his pad, right in front of him. And Anders Lee is the one that grabs it. I'm like, it's your space too, buddy. And it was, it was, it was honestly just kind of unbelievable. Yeah. Really. The, we, we'll wait to pile on Allen until the Dallas game. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll end it there. But, I mean, I, I just, one thing to say is, like, yes, Someone could have defended Lee better. Absolutely. No one's arguing that. I just, I get really frustrated when I see, well, the defense didn't do this or that because, yeah, that's going to be true on every goal. If the defense, if the defense was perfect at its shots, at its job, every game would be a zero shot shutout, you know? I mean, not... Not really, but it'd be like a 12-shot shutout, and those shots would all come from ridiculous angles and whatever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's just not worth arguing, but we won't dig into Allen yet because there's plenty of time to do that yet. Uh, The Blues did score a 6-on-5 goal late. Ryan O'Reilly scored it with Perron and Tarasenko assisting, uh, but it didn't really do anything. Uh, It was nice to see them not just crumple with a goalie pulled for once. Uh, they ended the game four to three instead of four to two, which I guess is good. Uh, but in at the end of the day, it didn't really mean anything, and the Blues lost four to three. Um, I guess we can talk about the Islanders for just a second because they're red hot, and it's kind of a cool story. Sort of, not really the same as the Golden Knights in any way, but sort of a similar kind of feeling around that team of, hey. Our captain and, you know, our best player rejected us and took to greener pastures in Toronto, and now we're sort of the ragtag group of misfits that are, you know, coached by a Stanley Cup winning coach and everything, and and we're pulling it together to be semi-decent this year. So good for them, and it's really cool to see Robin Lanier having a really nice season uh, after he was so open and vulnerable about his... uh, uh, mental health issues in the athletic article that I think is unlocked if none of you have read it or if any of you have not read it. So go out and find that. So anyway, Blues lose four to three and they move on to Philadelphia. Was this a week where we went 
No, the last two games are home. So we went home, then away, then home, home. Okay, yes. I thought we went back away to Montreal, which would have been weird, but no. Anyway, Philadelphia, the Blues. (laughs) The Blues, you know how the game goes. Jordan makes his first ever NHL start. I felt good about that one. I felt good. You didn't give up on the play. Thank you. And Carter Hart uh, was in the opposing net. So the two hot, young, uh, much-discussed goaltending prospects before the season, as I'm sure uh, both were, are now making their starts against one another. Uh, This was Bennington's first start after Jake Allen started 14 games in a row. Ian, what do you think about that? Just the Uh, fact that Allen had started 14 in a row. That... Is a lot for for any goaltender, mm-hmm. and I believe at this point in the season or at this game, he was also tied for like fourth most starts among any goaltenders in the NHL, mm-hmm. which is just a lot for any goaltender again. Um, and so I, I can give him some of that, where it's it's going to be hard to play that much, especially with our schedule and the way it's going to be coming up here where through January, we don't have any days, any double days off, any two days in a row off. And then I believe in February after the all-star break, we have, I think it's the same thing after our first game against Columbus, it's no more than one day off between games and a lot of back-to-back. So they're definitely going to have to bring in Bennington. I mean, before he even would, you know, performed amazingly these other two games, they were going to have to bring in somebody to start backing up and getting different starts because, it's it's just way too much. It was way too much already, and we've played you know the fewest amount of games as people all know. So it's it's kind of insane the small amount of time we've used any backups. Yeah, agreed. Allen is currently sixth in the league in games started or games played, and I think he's even higher in games started, which is especially interesting considering, as we all know, uh, the Blues have eleven billion games in hand on everyone else in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, that to me, I mean, the, the only thing I wanted to bring up there is, and we'll, I guess I'll just talk about it now. Uh, it looks better in light of Bennington, you know, obviously having looked so good in the first two starts, but I'd never under, I didn't understand the decision to cut Johnson if you didn't trust Bennington to start at all. And so mm-hmm. even very early when Bennington was called up, I sort of said, hey, let's get him a start. And ironically, I think it was against the Flyers, who was his first game, would have been his first game up. Have we already played the Flyers once this season? I think it was uh, them. I can't remember. I believe I so. it was them uh, who he was called up against. And uh, it was right before a road trip. And I kind of made the argument, hey start Bennington in this game because this is the easiest of our next five or six games and you can get his feet wet. And people sort of said, no, no, you don't want to overexpose him. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but my only thought was Jake Allen was never the guy. And this is not really a dig at him, but he was never the guy that you want to say, here, go start 15 games in a row for us. So if Mm -hmm. we release Johnson, I know that was like a savvy move to save a little money and cut a little cap room, but if you were going to release him without trusting your backups to start at all, maybe it wasn't that great a decision. But in any case, they finally made the decision to start Jordan Bennington uh, against the Flyers in, you know, in the wake of Allen's 
semi-disastrous game against the Islanders, and I do think that was a factor in the decision. Uh, Fabry, Robbie Fabry was scratched. Maroon and Sanford were both back in. Uh, Bozak was out with an upper body injury for this game. This was the first one he um, left, and there were seven defensemen in the lineup. Uh, Schmaltz, Jordan Schmaltz was waived this week, uh, but I believe cleared waivers and is playing with San Antonio. Uh, So the first period, I think Bennington looked really strong. His first save in this game came on Sean Couturier, which isn't his first NHL save, so it's not great trivia, but it's his first game and his first start and first win and first shutout, so I guess that counts for something. Uh, There was a lot of good play from the uh, Shin Schwartz-Tarasenko line during this game and really during the whole week, and I think that's something that I wanted to talk about at some point is just like this team needs to stop jerking around the line so much. Every time there's like a hint of trouble, they do it. And I think it's pretty clear that Shin, Tarasenko, and Schwartz are a good line and that Perron and O'Reilly are a good line. So mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't know why they have to mess with that so much. But in any case, um, Tarasenko and that line looked good, and they delivered early in the second period with a uh, goal. Braden Shin assisted by Jaden Schwartz and Carl Gunnarsson. Uh, Tarasenko entered the fire zone on the left side and passed the puck. Uh, the puck got touched by both Gunnarsson and Shin, but eventually ended up on the stick of Schwartz, who slaps it on net. Hart kicked out a rebound to his right, and Shin collected it and buried the rebound. Uh, it was a nice goal. It was a good little goal, and Bennington, I think, had made a lot of good saves so far already, um, especially that kick save on Voracek at about 8.15 uh, in the first. You all right over there? You're you're breathing on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Um, no, but yeah, Steen... Steen had gone to the locker room late in the first period after that shoulder-to-shoulder hit by Radko Gudis. That's who it was. That's who the person was who injured him. So, person Steven in the past, that's who it was, and now you know. Uh, the, the Blues uh, continue to play pretty well in the second. How did you feel about this game through two periods? I think I sort of asked folks uh, how they felt and it was kind of mixed reviews after the after the first especially. But what did you think so far? No, I thought it was a really good game. I mean, you are playing the Flyers, who are almost the Blues of the East, and that I don't think anyone thought they were going to necessarily be amazing this year, but they thought they'd contend for a playoff spot easily, mm-hmm. and they just aren't. And, I mean, they're on what? Is this like their sixth goalie that Se- they've started? I mean, seventh. They've started Carter- They've started okay. seven this year, which is the tied for the record. Mike McKenna so, being mean, the seventh. Carter Hart is supposed to be their up-and-coming guy. I don't think they necessarily thought they'd be using him as much as they're going to now. So at least it's, you know, just kind of moving their time frame ahead, and it's not just some guy that they're going to depart with, you know, next season or anything. So that's kind of good for them. But anyways, so I don't really know what the measuring stick was going to be when the Blues played the Flyers. But it kind of, that thought process sort of evaporated as I watched the Blues play because they definitely had a lot more get up to their game. Uh, to talk about Tarasenko with Shen and Schwartz, I think it really works for those three, especially Tarasenko when he's playing on a 
line that's very um i guess i'd just say more workmanlike a little more active i think guys like shannon schwartz are sort of engines you know we talked about the schwartz before where it's just guys that get up and go move a lot with the puck uh, aren't really a stagnant line aren't much of a setup line where they're just waiting for the perfect pass they're kind of in the zone and going and i think when tarasenko's on a line that does that he feels like he needs to be jumping into the play as well i think when he's on a line that's maybe like you know they've tossed him with bozak and even maroon before and maybe that's more an indictment on those two he doesn't have as much um i don't know ownership of that line i mean he should he's the star but like i don't think he thinks that he needs to be moving around a lot or being overly physical or trying to jump up in the play as much yeah i think that's a very perfect description uh the second period by Corsi was actually the blues best period they had a 60 to 40 advantage there uh, and obviously scored one of their ultimately three goals very early on in it. Uh, but the third period was dominated technically by the uh, Flyers, who had 65% of the possession, according to the Corsi 4 percentage. But the Blues held on uh, and added two more goals. The first was by Tarasenko. Uh, it was his first goal in six games. It was four on four. Uh, Petrangelo put the puck from his blue line to O'Reilly at the Flyers' blue line. O'Reilly dumped the puck quickly to Tarasenko, who was entering the zone on his left, and Tarasenko skated in unopposed, which seems like a strange decision even when he's sort of cold, uh, and whips a wrister past Carter Hart. He looked super relieved, uh, and it was beautiful to see that, you know, I mean, the skill is all still there with Tarasenko. Uh, it's just kind of getting whatever gears going that need to start going, uh, but it was a really nice goal. There were some really good defensive plays by the youngsters. Do you want to talk about some of those? Yeah, I think this was a game that showcased some of our, our young talent, and even though a lot of it we tend to focus on the offensive side, I thought a lot of guys were going on the defensive side too. I mean, Sanford had a really active stick all night. I noticed him a lot more. Maybe it was just because he was got placed in the lineup again and he knew he had to sort of impress. But I think J.K. and Panger also mentioned that that was one of the things that Brube talked to Sanford about when he scratched him was that they liked his game uh, in the offensive zone, but they thought that he needed to be able to hang on to the puck a little bit more when he had it rather than be a turnover machine, which he kind of had been. And also that uh, they wanted him to just have a better defensive game. And I, it looks like he took that to heart because I noticed him on both ends of the ice. And Thomas um, was, I thought this was one of his best games, just complete games. There's a whole sequence where he, I don't know if he's the one that's the center in this scenario, but someone loses the face off in the Flyers end. And then he skates all the way down through the neutral zone into the Blues' own zone to get the stick lift and get the puck back from a Flyers player and skates it all the way yeah, back, basically goes coast to coast to coast. Mm-hmm. Untouched, and that's a great entry into the zone, too. And he sets up a nice pass, too, for his linemates. Um, he's getting more and more confident. We've said it before, but I think he's learning exactly what he has to do to be successful in the NHL, and I think he's now realizing that he can do it. I think that's like the stages you go through. He's, first, you're just kind of in your junior mindset. You know what made you successful, and you're sort of learning. Then you realize, you know, you've got to put in maybe like those third line, fourth line efforts where you're like, okay, I really got to hunker down and get the basics down again, sort of figure out what my effort level needs to be. And then after that, you can kind of almost apply your strengths that you had in junior. And I think that's sort of what he's doing now to have a more complete game. That's really too bad that um, we'll talk about too, that he kind of suffered a little bit of an injury because I think he's really starting to understand what he can bring to this team. 
Yeah, absolutely. Our, our friend 14th and Quark threw together a really nice gif of that sequence, which uh, you can go follow him on Twitter. I think it's at STL Hockey Feed, uh, but you can find him by 14th and Quark, too. And uh, we retweet and tweet out a lot of those as well, so he's been doing an awesome job on that, which we really appreciate. And excuse me, it's Hockey Feed STL, not STL Hockey Feed. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think you dyslexic maniac. <laughs> I think overall the Blues did really well here. David Perron got a nice little uh, blue line snipe on the empty net for his 14th goal of the season and his seventh uh, straight game with a point, I guess, at this point. Uh, but the story of this game is really Jordan Bennington. Uh, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. I mean, I think the Blues, you know, arguably basically deserve to win this. They obviously heavy, heavily outshot the Flyers 37-25 to 25 and lost the face-off battle pretty significantly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the story's obviously Jordy, Jordan Bennington. He becomes just the second blue uh, in history to win their first start with a shutout. Uh, Rich Perron was the other blue, and I think like 35 goalies in NHL history have ever done it, which is pretty amazing. Uh, so obviously pretty cool personal individual achievement for Bennington. Uh, but man, it just, <sighs> we, we'll, we'll, we'll save it. We'll talk about it more after the other start <laughs> and after, after Allen's debacle as well. But so many teases this episode. <laughs> I just, I just think this team, looks maybe it's maybe it's just me maybe I'm just more confident but it feels like this team looks more confident when a competent goalie is in the net Mm -hmm. um you know and I and obviously in the first game there's an element of that sort of the team saying hey we want to go out and have this guy's back and they did play a really good defensive game around him for the most part uh but Man, they just look like a, a just a better team. Um, there was an interesting st- statistical anomaly here. Uh, neither Shin nor Tarasenko had ever scored against the Flyers before. Uh, both of them got goals in this game, which means that the pair have now scored against every other NHL team, uh, except that Tarasenko obviously has never scored against the Blues. Uh, but yes. Sh- sh- yes, exactly. I didn't say it. Um, sh- Shin, <laughs> Shin has now scored against all 31 and... Uh, Tarasenko all 30 but us um and yeah I think the Blues looked good overall uh let's talk about Bennington a little bit during this game I think he only really made one or two you know especially outstanding saves but he just looked solid and confident uh he had great positioning that's one of the things I really really noticed is that he's just you know I heard Kevin Weeks this was maybe a you know, two years ago or more now, but I heard Kevin Weeks on ESPN radio here at one point, and he he talked about, you know, his big criticism of Allen was that he was just too active in the net, and you see goalies who are, who like Allen, who are just moving around a lot, and it's not actually good. You kind of want a goalie to be sort of sedentary and set, you know, reading his angles and, and making adjustments, but not chasing the play too much. And mm-hmm. I think Bennington did a really good job of that here. Um, he had that one great kick sh- kick save on the deflection, uh, which is nice because, you know, anytime there's a deflection on Allen, a group of people 
want to say that, you know, deflections can't be saved. And they're very difficult to save. I don't deny that. But it was nice to see Bennington kind of uh, make that especially challenging save on that deflection. Um, Panger pointed out that he kept his glo- he keeps his gloves kind of in front of him more than at his sides, you know, both his glove mm-hmm. and his stick hand. And I noticed that after he pointed it out, and I, I kind of really like it. Uh, it allows him to sort of attack the puck uh, rather than getting in too deep and sort of protect his space. You never want to see uh, a goalie kind of... You never want to see a goalie guarding the goal line because they're already out of position, you know? Mm-hmm. So overall, I just think it was it was a strong performance. His pad looked nice. His pads looked nice. They were pretty pretty basic, but still pretty cool. Um, Get some different pads, Jordan. <laughs> but overall, I was obviously very excited. But we needed to see more, and we will. Um, now... Do you want to walk us through this train wreck of the Dallas game, or do you want to take the Montreal game that you were at, or do you want to do both? Um, I can I can take the Montreal game because I feel like I have a lot to say. Oh, about so that you game. have the fun one. Cool. Well, <laughs> no. portions of this Dallas game that will be very interesting. <laughs> They'll be these fun are, to talk about. It won't be fun to are, relive. Yeah. These are just two polar I mean, opposite Games. Yeah, that's that's as best as such, you can say. Such it. an encapsulation cool, of this team this year, really, are these games happening back to back. So let's go ahead and dig in. Dallas Stars three, St. Louis Blues one. Um, the first period, I don't think really the Blues got outplayed. It was just kind of boring, honestly. I mean, it ended one to nothing, but it was just mostly boring. Um, the Stars scored their first goal of the game uh, by uh, at the, uh, 11 and a half minutes in. Um, the goal was scored by Tyler FHS, FHS Sagan. Uh, that would be fucking horse shit, you know, because Jim Lights. <laughs> He's not very good. <laughs> uh, Jim Lights was right, though, because Tyler Sagan's on a red hot point streak, so you know he's responsible. Uh, John Klingberg. 16th assist, Alexander Radulov, his 14th, or 24th, excuse me. Uh, Radulov moved the puck around Perron with no difficulty. Perron even sort of fell over chasing him. Uh, Klingberg hit uh, Sagan with a beautiful cross pass. Oh, no, excuse me. Klingberg hit Radulov before he moved around uh, Tarasenko, and then... um, he made the backhand pass across the front of the net to uh, Sagan, who had good positioning. Obviously, he's right in the crease. I mean, he cross-checked Gunnarsson out of his way, so you would have liked to see uh, Gunnarsson put up a little bit of a fight. But this is also a, a goal that goes right under Allen's glove. Now, understand, it is by far the most tolerable of the goals he allows in this game, uh, but still not Great, I wouldn't say. What do you think about this one? I mean, it is Tyler Sagan. He is right in the office, so you can't be furious about it. Mm-hmm. But I waffle a lot on it, which I guess makes me think it's just sort of 50 50 because of how much I've gone back and forth. Because, like you said, it's a goal scorer in close. Like, that's just hard to defend. That's a really good release for just a little quick wrister. Uh-huh. Allen isn't there initially, but he, he makes it there in time. I mean, he's sliding over. And yeah, he's 
got his whole body there. It's just kind of under his glove. So that's one of those things where I can I can see that happening to Henrik Lundqvist or whatever. But at the same time, it's like I can also see a better goalie just getting a piece of it. Mm. You know? Yeah. It feels like it just goes in clean. On its own, I wouldn't torch him on this one, but uh, it's not great. Uh, we polled our followers after the period saying, which of the following words best describe the first period? Uh, disappointing, 26%. Uninspired, 55%. Even, 14%. And promising, 5%. Oh, those those poor 5%. Um, <laughs> and we got several... Half of those had to be... <laughs> sarcastic <laughs> probably <laughs> we got several nominations for boring as well in the replies so uh yeah i mean i think boring and uninspired seemed appropriate but what little we knew at the time because this game really hinged on about a five minute period in the second period which i think has been so true of so many of our games this year um the Blues sort of immediately got themselves on a five-on-three after consecutive penalties from Sanford and Bortuzzo. Uh, as you pointed out, they did not fight in the penalty box, which is tragic. <laughs> um, it dawned on me when they sent Sanford in there, and I was like, oh, no. What if that was, like, the first time they'd been in proximity to one another since the, since the practice I, fight? Does the... I think they celebrated uh, one of the goals the Blues scored uh, against the Canadians last night, and like Bortuzzo, he, Sanford looks pretty happy, and Bortuzzo skates into like the celebration group. And I'm telling you what, this dude looks right away from Bortuzzo and is out of that group. Really? Oh no! Yeah. It's ling- I mean, like not. I don't think it was like so quick to be worried, but and it was probably him just leaving. But at the same time, it's like holy crap, what? It's lingering. Um... So, yeah, so on the ensuing power play, Klingberg gets his sixth goal of the season. He was injured for a long time, so it was his first since October 23rd. Uh, But he gets his sixth goal of the season, assisted by Radulov. Uh, Klingberg passed it to Radulov's right along the blue line. uh, And Radulov passed it back to Klingberg for a one-timer. There were a gang of bodies in front uh, among them. Well, not among them. The whole gang was Ben... Uh, Joel Edmondson and Alex Petrangelo, uh, but it went right through Allen's five hole. The Dallas announcers very politely said that I'm sure he didn't see it, meaning Allen. But as uh, our aforementioned dear friend, 14th and Clark, makes it in vividly clear in gift form. Uh, he has a, a 100% clear sight line to the puck and when the shot happens, and he just doesn't guard his five-hole. He doesn't get down in time or hold his five-hole tight enough to prevent the goal. Uh, really ugly, I think. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I was going to say, even if he gets his eyes taken away, like beating, getting beat like that, under the pad it's just being slow to get down you know what i mean like even a deflection would probably slow it down and it might get it around him or something but like he should just be down no matter what yeah your five holes and it just makes it that much worse that he can see it your five holes should pretty much always be protected you know unless a guy is deking right up on you and there's nothing steven i always say (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> your five hole should always be protected. I think that's something that transcends hockey. Yeah, and I think it's just applicable to life as a whole. <laughs> that's advice that goes beyond the ice. 
Um, <laughs> wow, that rhymed. I didn't even mean to do that. Uh, um, so that that goal was. I lost it, didn't I? I killed him. I killed him, everybody. <laughs> That goal uh, on its own was bad enough, but it was followed up by, uh, speaking of fucking horseshit, um, <laughs> Tyler Sagan scored his 17th of the season and second of the game, assisted by Miro. How are we supposed to say this? Haskinen? Why can't they just I, I spell guess. it like Haskinen? 11th assist, and we open the Roman Polak door uh, and for his third assist of the season. How he still has a career, anybody's guess. But um, the Stars have played 12 defensemen this year, so that's unfortunate for them. Hastkinen rimmed it around hard. Uh, it came right to Edmondson, who can't control it. So there's your asterisk for the people that, you know, want to defend Allen and say it's the defense's fault. There's your there's your escape clause. Uh, Edmondson couldn't control it or get it out of the zone, and Sagan took it away. And again, there's always at least some culpability on the defense. But Sagan took a shot from an extreme angle. Uh, he was up and to the right of the goalie circle to Allen's left. Um, so basically, you know, about five feet from the boards and maybe eight to ten feet from the goal line, and he took a wrist shot, and I don't know. I don't know where it went. <laughs> it's, so Alan's like playing... Through a portal. Alan's playing the reverse VH, which means that he's, his pad is... His paddle on the post is down, and he's trying to hold the post with his arm. Uh, stop doing that, Alan, because it doesn't work for you. Just go with the regular <laughs> VH, buddy. Um, but uh, I don't. I don't know what to say here. So why don't you say some words? I was like, yeah, I, you, I used to be very angry, and now it's just <laughs> watching this gift happen over and over again. Like the sad numbingness to what's going on. Um, also, it's right before the skiff ends right before Alan smacks his stick along the uh, far post. And it almost looks like he's just going to drop his stick in the skiff like he gave up yeah. instead of hitting the post with it. Like, like yeah, screw towel. it. Um, yeah, so, and I'm even more emboldened to say these sorts of things, given how Bennington looks and just sort of the overall feel of the game I was at yesterday live. But if Jake Allen is the starting goaltender this October... I'm lighting a torch and grabbing a pitchfork and marching down Armstrong's assumed residence in Chesterfield and demanding the monster show himself because <laughs> that's absolutely ridiculous. That will blow my mind if he's still the star next year. Absolutely blow it. I think you are going to blow up this fan base as far as what they want, and you are going to have zero confidence with them. Um, Jake Allen is an inconsistent goaltender. I think, I think even people that like Jake Allen as far as like an athlete goes could agree with that which makes him uh, an unreliable goaltender, which makes him a bad goaltender. We talk about the defense we've had on this podcast in front of Allen a lot and that he's admittedly been bad for almost the entire season. But even the best defensive team, as we've mentioned just earlier, is not going to be able to limit that position to no shots. The expectation is for the defense to limit that position to low danger opportunities. And even then, your best defense is not going to be able to do that all the time, every game. So goal two was a shot from the point that Allen had clear sight of, went right under him. Uh, defense sort of parted the ways. I mean, at least two Blues players are shoving Stars players out of the way, basically to help Allen see. I mean, it's to get screens. So, you know, good job defense, and that beat him under the pads. 
goal three was a shot from a severe angle. He was even covering the post, but it leaked through him. I don't even see the hole. I literally, through, I literally don't know where it goes. I mean, I know it goes yeah. like kind of between the wrist of the glove and his body, but I don't know where the space is. The the dark nether realm, which we talk that Jake Allen goes to mentally, is also <laughs> a, a place. Itself and it yeah, in his it went person. into there <laughs> and out the other end. I'm sorry, Alan, you've been possessed. Um, it's it's insane. The defense for Allen sometimes, besides the team in front of him being bad, will always be, well, even good goaltenders let in stinkers. And that's not part of the debate. I mean, that's true, but that's not... That's almost like a straw man at this do point. Do they? I mean, do they do this? I, I'm telling you, it's like Stockholm Syndrome. I really do. I'm like, take a second, like, take a step away and go watch even, I'm just going to say, a good goaltender. Not great, not fantastic, just run-of-the-mill good goaltender. It Goals go in, but the team, the other team had to work for it. You know what I mean? Like, you, you beat the goaltender in the sense that you outwork the defense – and you beat the goaltender. You didn't like shoot a puck on net, and somehow it found its way in. You know what I mean? I like agree. normally that might be a deflection or something, but you have to have the other team has to outplay them. I yeah, I mean, I just I th- and I think I think we talked so much about how horrid our defense was early in the season, <coughs> and it definitely mm-hmm. was. But I don't think it's really been that bad lately, especially you know I don't I don't know if it's mostly because of Baruby or partly because of Baruby, but I think overall lately it's been much improved. And Yeah, I think within the last couple, two, three weeks, it's looked a lot better. And Allen's looked worse, and we kind of touched on it last week sort of jokingly, but like January has historically been his nightmare month, and here we are again, you know? I know. And I and it's like we're not even thinking about it because it's lost in the in the grander narrative of the season but what if he just goes to Mephistopheles's playground for the third straight year in January that's what i mean that can't like that's and, it was unacceptable last year it's unbelievable this year <laughs> we talked like, about it before the year and a lot this summer and just said hey if it happens again it's done and it's happening again and it has to be done I really do think this fan base, I could feel it at this Montreal game, the difference in how the place was with a different goalie starting. I like maybe it's just confirmation bias, but I'm telling you it feels it felt different. Even people that really, you know, want to defend Jake Allen's play are starting to think, well, maybe we just try somebody else just because, and that's the first step to recovery folks. I tell you what, it really is like, it's, it can't be this way. You, we've kind of seen how bad the team was. And I think you said it right, Steven, like we're getting better. We look a little better. We look a little more consistent. I'll say more or less. Um, and then there's kind of still this glaring hole and you can see it. Like, it's just like, well, something is not getting better. It's, and I think everyone kind of knows what that is now. And I think it's one thing, like, listen, a lot of teams don't have an elite goaltender. And a lot of teams, you know, even Columbus has Sergei Bobrovsky, and they ask the question, well, is he a different goaltender in the playoffs? And I don't know. Maybe he is. But 
to me, there's a huge difference between wondering if your goalie's good enough to win the Stanley Cup and wondering if your goalie is good enough to get you to the playoffs. And you can't be wondering about the second question because that's not acceptable. Uh, you had some comments about Allen being unreliable that I really like. Do you want to talk about those a bit? Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean go ahead. Sorry. No, I was gonna say more for like uh, when you're defending him against other other goaltenders. It's like if my friend uses an old computer and it works sporadically, people tell him to buy a new computer that is more reliable, and they'll say, "Well, even some of the best computers will blue screen from time to time." And that's true, but it doesn't make your current computer any less unreliable. Basically, like you're saying, there's goaltenders that are also, uh, you know, they're going to let in a stinker that aren't fantastic, uh, but they at least get their, you know, they at least get their team to the playoffs. And it's not all on them, but they also didn't, they also didn't hurt the team, if you, you know, if you'll think about it that way. But if you're not getting your team to the playoffs as a goaltender, you're unreliable. And I think that's the perfect word for Jake Allen. I think that's, I, I really do think that's more of the fair and nice way to put it. I won't say you're, you know, you're just god awful and crap and horseshit and all that stuff. You're unreliable, and that label does not deny that Allen can make big saves. He even made some huge ones in the Dallas game. There, I mean, there are quite a few towards the end there that he did, but he's kind of digging himself out of his own hole. And he can go on stretches of good to great play too. But Allen lets in clunkers consistently. He goes on cold streaks consistently. His play is inconsistent and it makes him unreliable and thus bad at his position of goaltender. I mean, that's kind of how it works. It's kind of like pitching in baseball. Like you can be inconsistent and and other sort of positions if you're inconsistent. Not great, but you know that's not necessarily the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for like those two positions, if you're inconsistent, all we're asking for is consistency. Yeah, I mean, I think that sums it up well. We don't have to linger here much longer, but it's just like. Lest you think we're being too hard on this goal, Steve Dangle, who we talk about a lot, is, I mean, basically his job is to be a Toronto Maple Leaf super fan. I mean, he's become more involved at Sportsnet, but that's basically his job. So, again, Toronto Maple Leafs, nothing to do with either the Stars or the, or the Blues. And he took pains on his podcast the other day in a segment that was only tangentially related in any way to this game. Uh, It was, you know, they were kind of discussing lights again. And he took great pains to point out how awful this goal was. Like, it was a garbage goal. And as we said, if it happens in isolation, fine. But it doesn't. And you just can't, I mean, you just can't play this game. Jake Allen is 29 years old. Or 28, I forget. He's turning 29 this summer he's this this there seems to be this kind of lingering like well he's a young guy he's growing sort of thing with him and I you know I don't I don't see people use that a lot but I just think it's kind of how we treat him as still like a young Mm -hmm. goaltender who's unproven and he's 28 years old he'll turn 29 in August that's not like he's been at this for Five or six years. He was drafted in 2008. He was drafted before we graduated high school. He's not new to this. And to talk about him like he's ever going to improve and just find this magical side of him where he's just this incredibly consistent guy, it's not going to happen. It just won't happen, you know? And I... And I, I whether you need to buy him out, which I know Armstrong has never done, or if you have to 
trade assets to get rid of him. I mean, he has to be gone. He has to be gone, even if Jake, even if Jordan Bennington is your best answer, which, you know, we'll talk about him more. And I, I'm not, I'm not handing him the keys to the Ferrari and saying take it wherever you want. But I'll hand him the keys to this beat old, beat up old jalopy that we have right now. You know, yeah. you're not, you're not. I think someone put it really well on Twitter. I think uh, that really. Even if Allen, even if uh, management still has like a little bit of confidence in Allen, like the fans don't, mm-hmm. the people in the seats don't. And I know it's one I've we've even said it here, like fans don't matter that much. But I really do think when you get this feel that like the fans aren't confident in that goalie, <laughs> and it's kind of almost like a boiling point, you you almost have to do something. Like as far as starting him next season, I don't know what you do the rest of this season. Or whatever, but like if he's starting next season, I don't think people are going to give this team the time of day to start the season. And if the Cardinals are better and stuff, say goodbye to those you know early season tickets, man. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Let's go ahead and move on to um, the rest of the game. Perron scores. The Blues did a really nice tribute. To, There's more. <laughs> the Blues did a really nice tribute to a World War II veteran, which was cool. He was overcome with emotion, and it seemed to sort of pump the team up a little bit. I mean, the crowd got hot for the first time all game, so that helped. And Perron scored his 15th goal of the season. Uh, it was a really nice <laughs> one of those plays he occasionally makes where it was just kind of him and him alone and he took a really nice uh backhand from the slot and beat ben bishop high uh it was a good goal it was just a nice goal um there was a play in the second period we can talk about this for a minute where uh just later in the period where alan went out to meet somebody was a ben maybe or sagan whoever it was kind of charging in on a semi break and then he like just like to me, just as slow as could be, sort of made his way back to his net, and then he made sort of like a, a sliding save while getting into the net, and Pang and J.K. But especially Pang sort of went berserk and like pumped his tires like they always do. And to me, it was just like he made a bad play to begin with, you know, like. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, maybe racing out to the puck was the right play, but then he didn't get right back to his net, and he didn't clear the puck well. So it was just, I, I don't know. I don't want to dwell on it. I just want this game to be over. So <laughs> they did. <laughs> it's like taking a baby and throwing it in the air and then catching it and be like, ah, ta-da. <laughs> like, well, you shouldn't have thrown it in the you first caught, place. I caught the baby. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so the Blues are one sixteen and two when trailing after two. Dallas was sixteen one and two, which ooh magic. Um, and they didn't win. Um, there was an Allen did have a really nice save on Yanmark with a, on a two on one, uh, but it was over. There was nothing sustained at all when the Blues pulled their goalie very early as they have always done under Berube, and the Stars iced it about twenty seven times. Uh, taking pot shots at the empty net uh, to eventually kill the rest of the clock. Uh, the Blues outshot the Stars 27-18, to lost the faceoff battle 60-40%, to and had no goals on their power play, uh, and it really was Jake Allen's fault. I can't... I, I mean, I don't know. You can't really say anything else. The team was really inaccurate shooting, Uh, Oh, yeah. It was their second worst game shooting accuracy, 42.1%. 
which isn't acceptable. Uh, you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, it was more like uh, I saw someone on Twitter basically say, well, teams block shots these days. They didn't used to as much, and now you have a lot of defensemen and forwards which being is, told to block shots. Which is weird because Dangle or somebody this week was talking about how teams don't block shots anymore. So I was like, I think they're doing it less, but the, in the weird, like, you know, the last 10 years, but they've been doing a lot more. I guess to start, or at least it seems like it to me. And uh, yet teams not named the St. Louis Blues manage to get shots on goal. It's like, the you know, just because people block shots doesn't necessarily mean that, like, all shots get blocked and what else can you do? Uh, you can basically play better hockey. I mean, we did harp on Allen a lot this game, <laughs> but the team did look super lackadaisical. And when you're playing better hockey, you're opening up shooting lanes with crisp, quick passes. You're fast and decisive with your shots. So basically just better decision-making execution. I don't know if this is from coaching or just a lack of confidence. I kind of really, I mean, I don't think Ruby's the answer here, but I really do think it's more of the latter. Just this team, every if it, they can't score right away, I feel like they don't get into the groove of their game and it just hurts them overall and they don't have very much confidence. They're a fragile group, as we've heard. And if you're not hitting <coughs> that, you're not creating rebounds. You're not scoring goals. I looked it up. Blues are 27th, at least as of that game, in goals for with 114. So that's 2.78 goals for per game, which, I mean, you're trending more towards two than you are towards four. So not fantastic. Kind of, you know, makes up the question marks in our offense here. And some of these games, especially this one, it almost looks like it reminds me of games at the end of last year where it almost looks like this team isn't practiced together. It's just really, I mean, that sort of happens when you have really awful passing the whole game. You're mm -hmm. like, it's in someone's skates, it's behind them, it's way ahead of them. It's like, okay, you guys know your line mates? Do you know you know what the play is moving up the ice? It, it was, it stunk that Allen stunk. It stunk even more so to watch this team just kind of like not be able to get back into the game at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just a dead, I mean, as soon as that second goal went in, they might as well have blown the final whistle because it was just dead. Um, they did look hot there for like a minute or two after the Perron goal, but after that it was just the third period was a waste of everyone's time. Uh, and everyone on the ice looked like they knew it. So uh, why don't we go ahead and move on to the Montreal game, and since you were there and since it was enjoyable, you can carry us through it. Man, this game was so enjoyable that I like kind of forgot about the Dallas game. It was, it's almost weird and hard to say. Man, they're so inconsistent. They're, you know, they didn't look like they played very well. It's like, man, how is this the same team? I don't think I've ever felt more like that than between these two games. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. It's unbelievable to me. Um, yeah, Blues. Blues started out really strong. Weber went off with a high sticking penalty early in the first period. I. Honest to God, forgot that Shea Weber was up there again. Like he, he's been <laughs> so injury ridden up there, has he not? Yeah. That like oh, there's like three, four years up there. That, and I'm like, man, I forget that you're there. And you're the dirty, captain too. That dirty poutine air is really bringing him down. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> get the power play goal. Uh, just a little under two minutes into the period by Robert Thomas, his fifth of the season, assisted by Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko. That's Ryan O'Reilly's 25th assist. This is why he's going to the All-Star game. I mean, no one else in this team really can. It's not even, you know, not even close. But, I mean, there's a reason he is. Jordan um, Bennington wasn't quite there in time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you could have got the fan vote. It's like, yeah, there are a lot. I mean, there are a lot of votes coming from the middle of this country. Um, dirty goal. Tarasenko shoots it from the circle low. Price stops the second. 
Riley grabs rebound right in front, kind of gets shoved out by another Canadians player. And it's just Thomas sitting there to the uh, right of Carey Price. I'm guessing that's probably, I mean, it's the power play. Again, you're not going to be able to cover everyone, but I'm guessing that's more of a Jordy Benz guy. He's trying to front the shot from Tarasenko and it gets by him. And so everyone pretty much loses sight of Thomas pretty much until he gets the second swipe at the puck. They're like, oh, this guy's going to, this guy's going for the rebound a second time. And then he gets to then. It's, it's nice to see. Again, uh, young guys scoring. I was telling my dad that at this game, that at very least, um, when rooting for this team, it's just nice to see the young guys get going because, like, okay, this is the future of the team. I just want to see it, them do well at the very least. And, uh, you know, Thomas had a good game, but Thomas remember, went hard on the boards after. Do you remember how Robert uh, Thomas used to be alive? Yeah. Like, oh, man, he hit it hard, and I was looking at his number because his, I mean, his back was to us and I was like one. And then I saw eight and I was like, no. <laughs> and so in the skip we have here, it's uh okay. So it's Arturi Lackanen, Lackanen, right? Lackanen, Lackanen. So you can see yeah. Shea Weber there and they both have a six, like Lackanen 62, Weber six. And so after uh, Thomas got up, I think the closest Montreal player at that point was uh, Weber when they're skating back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Weber, you sack of shit. You, you thought he backus him. <laughs> like it had to have been him. <laughs> yeah, could have just been David Backus showing some 19-year-old who's boss. Bowmeister later it on. It looks like it's probably a, a – sorry to interrupt. It looks like it's probably no, no. A, a shoulder injury, I guess. Yeah, that's it's hard to tell if it's shoulder or concussion, but I think it's shoulder. They have it listed as a shoulder, and I was almost kind of worried about his neck because it sort of was like – almost aimed toward his head. He turned at the last second, and I was like, this is going to be with, like, you know, one of those... Is this going to take a dark turn? break. Stinger collarbone? (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And it's like, ooh, I'm like, that just feels like a bad bad bone to have to recover from to heal. It feels like breathing would probably hurt. Uh, Bo Meester took a penalty for hooking Ben, which is, I mean, not necessarily anything to write home about except for the shorthanded goal that ensued after this penalty. That, uh, oh, Bo oh boy! What a is goal. this our first shorthanded goal? Third, apparently. Was third. I, was, I read the note right underneath. <laughs> uh, I, you were I watching the see. broadcast. You couldn't know. Yeah, I like. I'm all the way over here in Aleppo. It takes me like <laughs> a three, four seconds on the satellite to read. Um, I was just full of crap that night. Then I'm telling my dad that Weber hit Thomas. I'm telling people this is the first shorthanded goal of the season. Man, I'm not paying attention at all. Hopefully you weren't um, wearing your two-guy no-cut sport coat. Oh, it was all merchandise, maybe. <laughs> I was handing out stickers and business cards. Support that Patreon. Uh, this year old guy didn't know what he was becoming a patron of. I am not this a patron. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a really nice short-handed goal. Sunquist had an opportunity earlier in the game, and I can't remember what the defenseman was that knocked it right off a stick before he got in there. This kid close. is way speedier than I thought. I mean, he's way everythinger than I thought, but mm-hmm. he's way faster than I thought. Yeah, he's kind of the weird in-between where he's not hes not necessarily a choppy skater, but he's not necessarily a smooth skater. It's a lot of movement to get going, but he's, he maintains that he gets there. But yeah, O'Reilly and Sunquist break on a two-on-one. Puck with Sunquist backhands O'Reilly, holds it, then sauces it over a defenseman stick as they enter the zone. Sunquist grabs the pass and hits backhand forehand in front of Price and around his pad. It's, I mean, it's you know, it's really close. Price almost kind of has a skate to the post at that point. I was 
tell my dad who was like trashing price all night too. He's like, man, price stinks this year. And I was like, yeah, I don't think he's been great for them, but also I don't think price has ever been really been known for as like the athletic goaltender, you know, just in terms of like lateral movement. I think he's very much like the boring goaltender where he just sits there and, you know, is big in net, never really out of position because at least twice in this game, he gets beat on Deeks in front of him. Mm-hmm. But first yeah, Bureau was a great like for the he Blues. Has to have a good defense. You know, yeah, to kind of, and if he has a good defense, he's unbeatable because he'll always be in the right position. But again, yeah, and we've said we've said this with Jake Allen before, but yeah, when you get on, it's a breakaway or something. It's kind of it's fifty fifty, and I'll give Carey Price the benefit of the doubt. Um, <laughs> what a bold, I thought what a bold man Bennington you are. <laughs> looked, Yeah, <laughs> I thought Bennington looked really solid this period too. Um, just the whole game. Something I noticed you mentioned that he. You mentioned that Pangard mentioned that um, <laughs> he has his uh, glove and his blocker out in front of him. I don't know if it was just happenstance that they were shooting at his blocker uh-huh. a lot this game. But, man, I've never seen a goalie, especially live, ever use their blocker so much. Like, he punched out pucks like three, four, or five times that game. It was very interesting to watch. I don't think I've seen that very much at all. I mean, obviously, if they're shooting that side, that's what's going to hit. But, like, he was literally like coming out and like swatting at him with his blocker. So that was kind of interesting. It was a little neat tidbit. Uh, second period, team announces Thomas won't return. I think uh, someone near us mentioned they didn't see him on the bench, or I think they had the radio broadcast on or looked it up on their phone. Blues get a goal in this period of six minutes in. This goal had me out of my seat. This goal was un, like unbelievable and like a weird yeah. nether realm so yeah so i'm not going to tell you who <laughs> scores it right now it's assisted by robbie fabry and Ron. i mean you watch the game you know who it was but there's a pair on a breakaway it's two on one fabry backhands it to number 19 when they enter the zone and they he waits and lifts it over uh carrie price it looks like a goal scorer's goal the they decided that they could score goals too and it was jay boomeister <laughs> because as i looked at his number i blanked i said i don't know who number 19 is <laughs> and i don't Which know if it's understandable because so he's play. like way up on the net Fabry passes to him and i was like because we had um in this game we had mckenzie mckechran in his nhl debut up from the ahl in san antonio he's number i 62. think it was 62 yeah. And so I see 19 and I'm like, no, that's not it. And then he scored and me and the guy in front of me both yelled Bo Meester as he got the puck. Cause I was like, what's he doing? And what a nice little, what a nice little chip over price. Like that's like, that's like a cobalt shot goal in terms of like, uh, you know what? I think I'll place it right here. And I was like, no way. That was unbelievable. That was a, you had a stat. What, goal of this was this for his blues career i mean not oh, that he's a goal scorer 15th i think in his <laughs> career as a blue you know what uh-oh we lost ian are you still there yeah i would have met like 10 it's crazy and i mean there were you, there was a lot of great assists this game too you dropped out for a minute Probably. there so you're back oh, okay well, you're back but no one will know what i'm saying <laughs> i would say there's just a lot of great assists this game Ryan O'Reilly had a great one with Sunquist goal. It was just really amazing passes and tight and just saucer plays to guys. It was 
like last game where I said that it looked like they couldn't hit a pass to save their life. They're hitting passes all game long. It was oh, yeah. pretty outstanding. Habs got a power play goal later in the second period, nine minutes in. Uh, Brendan Gallagher, my my favorite little boy, his 17th of the season, <laughs> assisted by And I'll tell you what, who's the, um, I can't remember his name now, the PA announcer for the Blues, Tom Calhoun. I got it. Tom Calhoun had problems as he should with Jesperi Kakanyemi's name. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> he did like, I mean, it wasn't a whole retake. It wasn't even like something you'd really notice. We could tell he goes, Jesperi Kakanyemi. And it was like, it was like one of those, JK like, you know, we're going to rip the bandaid off and I'm just going to say it. <laughs> JK at some point called him something like Kakanyemi or something. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yes, he's, per- from, he's from Finland. Jesperi Hootenanny. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm, I'm just gonna call like cockamamie. Like that's just what his name there is. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> this goal was unfortunate. I mean, cockamamie hits Gallagher along the boards as he cuts back. Gallagher cuts towards the middle and tries to pass across to Biron. Oh, Mar- oh, Martin Biron. Uh, Gunnarsson blows the tire, cutting for Gallagher. Petrangelo yeah. goes down to try and block the shot, and it just caroms right along a skate and into the net. I hate under. Th- Hmm? I hate to steal your joy. I think this is Paul Byron, not Martin Biron. Oh, no. Well, you know what? I don't care either way. As far Paul as you're concerned, Bi- it's, it's Paul Byron. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if that's not how they say it, hey, they're not doing Canadian he, right. He plays for the Canadians. He deserves it. Yeah. This is just some unfortunate goal that goes off of Petrangelo and under Bennington's pads and then um, it's too bad that that's the way his shutout streak had to end. And it's kind of stinks that you you want defenders to go down to try and block the pass and you could tell like you said that he was going to try and hit Byron on the other side and I remember thinking that when I was watching I was like oh boy there's the, like there's the guy at the doorstep over there that he's going to get it to and when it went in off of Petrangelo it's like yeah I know you're trying to block it but it also felt like this happens a lot to us this year like between a lot of and we can even talk about a little here Bo Meester who I mean was doing poorly to start the season, to say the least, and has really done, has looked a whole lot better. Has almost looked like Jay Bomeister of 2013 in yeah. recent games. Yeah, absolutely. And so it kind of stinks, but I'll tell you what, it was very refreshing and just nice to hear. I don't know if you could hear it on the TV broadcast, but after they announced the goal, uh, it was kind of a smattering of sort of applause and people kind of yelling and stuff for um, Bennington's shutout streak and everything. Like, I think everyone appreciated that this was, you know, the first goal he let in on a start. Yeah. So that was pretty nice. That was really kind of cool. Uh, generally, second period wasn't really too bad. I think shots were pretty even for most of the entire game. Uh, I thought the Blues played a very good defensive game generally. I mean, there's, there's a few hiccups here and there, but also the Habs are pretty fast. Uh, third period, Bowie got another nice chance. With Price, basically, I think he came out to try and stop him and then kind of had the angle cut on him as Bomeister tried to get around him, and it hit the post. It wasn't ever going to go in because he was at such a weird angle, but I think Shen was out front, so it was a little too bad. People people wanted, people were already asking around us for the Bomeister hat trick. He hadn't even scored us. He scored one goal, one of 15 goals he's ever had with the Blues, <laughs> and people already wanted the third goal when he hadn't scored a second goal yet. <laughs> it was like, like people really wanted Jay Bomeister to score more goals. Um, 
Bennington. This was Bennington's period, I, I thought. I want to see, sorry to interrupt, but I want to see the Jay Vomeister uh, Gordy Howe hat trick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of, man, I don't know what a Jay Bomeister fight looks like. <laughs> Bloody and not for the yeah, opposition. That, yeah, it's got to be. It's, it's like if you're not a fighter at all and then you fight, it's got to be like, oh, well, I kill you now. I'm going to go to hockeyfights.com and see if he's ever had an NHL fight. I gotta believe that's not like that's not the case. I and can't maybe, be. Like maybe they let one they let one slide. He's <laughs> like, well, he grabbed onto this guy. I'm like, well, that's a fight. Probably. Here we While go. you're looking it up, though, Bennington had an amazing third period. He made an incredible sprawling save two on one on a four on four, which I was so scared for the four on four because we're just not a overly fast team and four on four just more ice for people to skate. It was. That was an amazing save. He was sliding over to his left. It was a toe, toe save. Puck was going in either way. It bounced up over, like over the pad, and sort of landed between his legs. And I'm always amazed that goaltenders can, like, with all those pads on, can sort of tell. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just, I don't know if it's players yelling at them or something. But like, I swear that it hit his pad, and then he instantly knew he had to like scissor his legs together. He's <laughs> like, oh, I know it's behind me, and yeah. Place went berserk. Place went crazy. Everyone on their feet. It was it was pretty. It was a pretty fun period. It was very fast. Not a lot of, um, I guess I'd say like boring defense going on. There was some defense, but it was definitely back and forth and back and forth. And Blues sort of sealed the deal with Sammy Blaze first goal of the season. Nine minutes into the third period, uh, it was what again another. Was... Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. So it was up three zero, and I was telling my dad, I'm like, man, we. And it was when it went 3 1. I'm like, I don't believe it. I love what we're watching. This team's great to watch. I don't believe in this team. We need another goal. <laughs> like, it has to be this way. And uh, Sunquist got an assist on this. Another sort of just like nice little passing play between Sunquist and Petrangelo getting it up to him for Sammy's goal. <laughs> I'm just reading your notes. Hubba, hubba, hubba. <laughs> what, where's he from? The, how Ma- do you say that? Mont Magny. Mont Magny, Quebec native, scores his second ever goal against his childhood idol, Carey Price. Which was funny. They're like childhood idol, and they're like, wait, did he play goal? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Can they you, talked oh, about that. Okay. I mean, you don't have to, but like, it'd be interesting if Alexander Ovechkin's like childhood idol was... I don't Dominic know, Curtis Joseph or something. Yeah, you're like, what? He's like, I always wanted to beat the hell out of that guy with 50 goals a season. I'm glad I can now. This was just... It was really... Sorry, go ahead. No, no you. I was just, this was just a wonderful game. It was probably the most fun Blues game I can remember all season. Yeah, I was going to say... The first time in forever, I was actively, like, cheering in my house for goals like this one and, you know, the Bowmeister one. Yeah, I was going to say, like, sum it all up, it was was interesting because it was a lot of goal scorers that you don't see. I mean, Robert Thomas, we hope to see more of, but just a young player and young players overall, some other than Bowmeister, obviously. Uh, (laughs) Sunquist, yeah. Robert (laughs) Thomas died for this. I hope you're all happy. Uh, Sunquist is not forget is he's not crazy young but i think he's only 24 um he got moved up to the third line too in this game we can sort of talk about him a little bit here i he's absolutely surprised me and people say really i mean he's fourth liner borderline third liner what's to be surprised about well i thought he was like absolutely nothing a garbage and i don't fire yeah like not I mean, like in an not, offensive way but just like not 
an NHL caliber caliber yeah. everyday contributor. Just like I mean, yeah, just like a plug, just like a guy we'll have here, and then he'll be gone. I mean, he was and, he was the throw-in body in a trade where the Penguins were already paying too much for Ryan Reeves. You know, yeah, when you're kind of the throw-in for the draft pick, that's like you know a 17 year old kid and we're like we're more interested in him like Oscar that, you're in the NHL and we don't really care that trade could have just as easily been Reeves in a second for a first and like a sixth mm-hmm. like that was basically the value Sunquist bought, brought to that trade you know yeah and I don't know who it was I've, I feel like it's somebody we interact with a lot on Twitter so I forgive me for, for forgetting but someone said or tweeted that yeah that Oscar Sundquist is almost reminds him of just a right-handed Lars Eller, like our Lars Eller today. And I think that's like, I mean, I think that's a pat on the back. I've, that's a third line player, a solid third line player. That's unquestionably that's their role. And for somebody, like I said, that we just thought was a plug sort of getting into this role. That's it's found money. I mean, I know we traded for, you know, he's in a trade, but like, that's, that's almost like drafting the guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's really impressive. I've been really impressed with them. And I've said before, not to harp too much on Tarasenko, but now when I see his 70 get the puck, I'm almost as excited now as when I've seen Tarasenko in the past. We're like, man, he's, I don't know if he's going to be dynamic necessarily, although he kind of has been, but like, I just know that he's, this could go in. He's going to try for it. He's going to work for it. Him and Barbashev, like really the whole bottom six crew, uh, minus sort of your Bozaks and Maroons, uh, <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. It was, it was a fun game and to talk about the atmosphere too. It was, I don't know if it was the snow that was coming today. I don't know if it was, you know, cause it's just a young crowd and kids are like, I'm getting the snow day. Um, or if it was, you know, Bennington being a net and people just kind of feeling like maybe there's a little bit of breathing room for, you know, a win and they're not clutching onto their butts for dear life, but it just felt fun. It kind of felt like to me, it kind of felt like a, cause there were so many young players like, a rebuilding team on the upswing uh-huh. sort of where you're like, wow, like look at what we have and we might not be outstanding just yet, but look what could be sort of thing. And I want to like encapsulate this in a bottle because I'm just so afraid of tomorrow night's game in Dallas. Yeah. Like I don't think God, forbid, I mean, if God Benet- forbid they go back to Allen. God, forbid. if Bennington starts, I'll feel better, but I'll still be a little worried just generally. Cause we're at every other sort of game team now mm-hmm. but yeah if jake allen starts like man i just i'm just gonna be scared i agree i agree 100 having said that a great game lots of fun people are going crazy before before we go any further i will update you that jay bowmeister's last first and only <laughs> national hockey league fight oh, was on november 25th 2005 at 4 minutes and 51 seconds into the second period when Florida Panther Jay Bomeister locked arms with <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguin Max Talbot, Maxime Talbot, if you want to say it in the French pronunciation, and Jay Bomeister kicked his ass. And by kicked his ass, I mean one kind of, unless you think it was a draw. But he ended up on top. <laughs> yeah. And well, so, Stephen, I always like to say you want to end up on top in life. Exactly. Life and in hockey, it transcends hockey. It's nice to be on top. Exactly. Said so, Bob Dylan. So let us pause a moment 
to reflect upon the wonderful fighting career of Jay Bowmeister. Talbot and Bowmeister whack each other with the sticks. They might be both going here. Talbot's looking for a piece. Of, here they go. They go. Maxine Talbot and Bowmeister, the taller defenseman, battling here back in the Florida zone. Talbot's got his helmet off. Bowmeister trying to connect. And this all started behind the net. And they're still throwing here. You know, Talbot's giving away. A few inches, but certainly not the heart. He was the one who was looking for a piece of Bowmeister. Now they go. Well, you gotta watch yourself getting thrown face first into the ice there, but a nice job by Maxine Talbot and Bowmeister. And it started with Talbot, and he was ferocious in his attempt there to keep that puck behind the goal line. Look at him killing this penalty. Just pursuit of that puck. Bowmeister's gonna shut him off. Now watch the two-hander right there, right in the back of the leg, another little tap, and that's enough. For Talbot to say, I'm not going to put up with that crap. Because you know what, as a hockey player and as a rookie, if you put up with it now, you're going to put up with it the rest of your life. That's the same, Mike. So you might as well get it over with right there. Thank you. All right. So I just did a moment of silence for Jay Bomeister as a fighter as my computer battery drips to 19%. Interesting. There's a conspiracy theory, <laughs> chaos theory reigns, and Jay Bowmeister is the puppet master. Okay, so uh, <laughs> you just talked about the young kids, and I think maybe next week we can dive into them a little bit, uh, since mm-hmm. the way we're going to close tonight is sort of by talking about the um, sort of the core group. Uh, I did some research this week talking about. Uh, the core group of players that Armstrong took aim at uh, in his um, press conference when he introduced Berube. So the the premise is kind of on November 20th, Army hosted the press conference and he took aim at the core group. He said, we've stayed patient with a core group of players and that patience now is at its thinnest uh, he said the equity is that they've built up is at its thinnest, and he said the group is eight or nine players, not three, uh, and they have to get us out of here. We need our best players to be our best players. So uh, you and I kind of met knocked heads, as they say, or something, and brought our heads together and kind of said that the core group he was talking about is definitely uh, Petrangelo, Tarasenko, Schwartz, Steen, Pareko, and Allen. And then the probable additions are Edmondson and Shin and arguably O'Reilly because he's new this year, but he's a veteran player. Um, Mm -hmm. So I thought we'd kind of take a look at those players and sort of see uh, what the numbers bear out about their performance. And I think there's some interesting stuff here. So let's start with the captain, our captain, Alex Petrangelo, uh, keeping in mind that he missed a significant number of games with a hand injury uh, before the injury and after the call-out. So in November, he played five games, uh, minus two with four points, a goal and three assists, and he averaged 23 minutes a game. And then after, since he's come back, uh, he played six games. He was a plus two. He's averaged 23 and a half minutes per game, four points, once again, a goal and three assists. 
and all of those uh, have been in this month, so none of them back in December after he got healthy. Uh, I think uh, lately especially he's been fine. He's had some great games and some sloppy ones. Uh, One thing I've especially noticed is that he's sort of a strange interview, and that doesn't matter, but he's also the captain, and if you want anyone on your team to be kind of the normal, approachable guy, you'd want it to be the captain. Um, And it's sort of like the Dougie Hamilton thing where you're like, that doesn't matter, but does it? Um, He's got a 52.3% Corsi 4 percentage on the year, so for those, uh, I feel like we explain this every time, but Corsi 4 is basically just a a measurement of a team or a player's possession. So the team uh, has 52% of the control of the game when Petrangelo is on the ice, which is, you know, obviously 50 is the break-even point. So it's not mind-blowing, but it's better than nothing. Uh, And he's had overall five goals, 10 assists in 30 games, which, you know, on a full season is a 40-point pace, 41-point pace. So that's not terrible. Uh, And he's been a minus six. He's got a 2.2 point share, which is a measurement sort of like wins above replacement in the NH and and Major League Baseball uh, that kind of measures how many points in the standings you're directly responsible for. Uh, And he has a three-point run relative Corsi percentage, which is a measurement of kind of how he does, how the team does with him on the ice versus without it. So positive means that the team is better with him on the ice, 3.1% better uh, than without him on the ice. So, uh, Ian, why don't you tell us about uh, Alex Petrangelo and how you think he's been doing while I run and get my computer charger real quick? All right, man, let's kill time and see how long it is till Steven comes back. <laughs> Uh, Alex Petrangelo, we've said it before, is kind of a defenseman that you're just not going to notice when he's doing all the things right. I mean, he's out there for huge portions of the game, and still he's going to be picked on for you know just the little things that he, that go wrong with them, and that's going to happen because again he's out there for most of the game. Um, I still think he'd be a big hole. I thought we kind of missed him when he was gone. I do think. You know, Fulton Pareko and other defensemen were able to step up in his absence, but I think getting rid of him in a trade or something like that would be would hurt. I really do think it would still hurt. I think you have to think long and hard before you trade him away. Having said all that, I think he's actually gotten a lot better since he's come back from the hand injury, and I think he's looking a lot more like regular old Alex Petrangelo these days. I think he's winning a lot of board battles, which is really his bread and butter. I uh, get in the getting a lot of a um, really nice passes out of the zone, breaking out of the zone. Another thing that he's sort of been known for um, still a little bit odd on the power play. I think as far as a quarterback goes, but I think overall he's been trending upwards sort of like the whole defense of this team. I'm sort of hoping to see more and more out of him as the season goes on. I think also he's going to be getting used to having three kids, three little babies that he's with. And I really do think, man, I gotta say that's got to weigh on somebody like on somebody's mind or just psyche as they have to wake up every night that they are home to take care of like three screaming children uh steven had mentioned it before that it does not look like that man has had (laughs) any amount of sleep ever yeah so i i do think that plays a factor into it i like i said it's probably been one of his 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's a stretch to say probably his worst season as a blue, just in terms of how he's played. But I don't think, I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I just don't think you can give up on him quite yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think the point you make about him being a new father, you know, I just, I don't like that people, there are some people that don't want to give him that as an out and it's not like an out it's not an excuse but like i disagree with anyone who says well my job performance wouldn't dip if i had three new triplets you know i don't think and i don't think raising one child at a time is analogous to raising triplets it's like Mm -hmm. doing that three times over you know (laughs) and they're all gonna need their diapers changed at different times and take naps at different times and all that. So, like, that's a big factor. Obviously, there are trade rumors swirling around him that's strange, you know, and I just... I am more content with Petrangelo now than I was probably, before, you know, before the injury, and I think the only kind of lingering question I have is, like, is he a good enough leader for this team? And if he's not, then... You know, Doug Armstrong basically needs to answer the question of whether he's willing to pay eight plus million, and eight's probably on the low side, nine plus million per season to keep him around long term, Mm -hmm. or if he's going to move on from him. And if he's going to move on from him, then I think it's in the best interest of, of at least the Blues and probably both parties to figure out some way to kind of trade him now, you know, so that they avoid a Shattenkirk situation, especially if they can work out a deal with Toronto where he's from so that he doesn't have to feel like he's getting totally shafted, you know, by the organization. Obviously, he's got the no trade protection, so he's not going anywhere he doesn't want to go. But, um, yeah, I mean, I hope for for both parties' sake, I hope if there's any sort of uh, divorce or separation that it's an amicable one. Did you have anything more that you wanted to add about him? Uh, not really. I mean, I just kind of I like him overall as a player. It's one of those things where I know it's business of him that he doesn't want to stay here or it's just not a good fit at the end of you know what his contract's going to be. He's got to go. But despite his Dougie Hamilton ishness, I don't mind all the touching of the face that he does. <laughs> Which, speaking of Dougie Hamilton, I guess we can mention that on the Thirty One Thoughts podcast they pointed out. Uh, that Dougie Hamilton, apparently, when he got traded to the Carolina Hurricanes, thought he was being traded somewhere else, and that somewhere else, according to Elliot Friedman, was probably the Blues, uh, which is very interesting, of course, because Hamilton's a right-shot defenseman, and the Blues already have two of those that play at a very high level in Petrangelo and Pareko, so one assumes that either those guys were going back in the return, or they were going to be involved in another trade, because it wouldn't make sense to have three right-handed defensemen of that caliber so what did you think about that little rumor yeah i think really to me that just says that armstrong is definitely has been looking to deal for a while Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's going to go away anytime soon i think this team is too far back and even if they do put a little bit together i don't think there will be much over a 500 team down the stretch here into the trade deadline and i think that's just a little bit of smoke where there's fire that I think he's going to be looking to maybe move some pieces. Yeah. I think we said, didn't we, you mentioned earlier this week that 
and maybe it was a question in JR's mailbag that basically someone asked, like, if this team starts winning, like, do you think the core is better, more or less, or something like that? Or do you move on from this core still? And he was like, oh, I don't give a crap how they do. Like, they have to move on from pieces of these guys or pieces of this core. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And, you know, natural shuffle there is pretty normal unless you have a core that's like the Malkin Crosby thing or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we can move on, speaking of the core, to Vladimir Tarasenko, who is obviously the other name that's heavily in the rumor mill this season. Uh, he, after the talking to that that uh, Armstrong gave the team, he had five goals in the rest of November, uh, or five games, excuse me, three goals and an assist. He was a plus two. One of the goals was on the power play. He had 21 shots uh, and an average of eight minutes and ten seconds of ice time. Uh, December, though, was ghastly for Vova. I mean, really, without without actually doing the research, probably his worst month in any season ever. He played 13 games. He had two goals, no assists. He was a minus 11. He had 14 penalty minutes. He had 41 shots, uh, which was a 4.9% average or time, you know, total time. And he had 17.39 average time on ice. Uh, Just a a horrid month by really anyone's standards, but especially by his. Uh, He looks to be pulling out of it a little in January so far I don't think I, I didn't throw the Montreal game into this uh, but he had three games one goal and one assist uh, was a plus one 12 shots 16.6 shooting percentage and 1836 time on ice so uh, he's improved some this month but uh, on the year still at 12 goals 12 assists on 40 games obviously we played 42 now but this was a couple days ago I took the notes uh, he's a minus 14 he's a 2.1 point or 2.0 point share uh, an 18 17 time on ice and 53.5 percent Corsi four percentage which is still a really good number and a 5.6 relative Corsi four percentage which is actually his second best career mark uh, and above his career average of 4.2 so that number in particular was a little bit surprising to me uh, given that you know for the most part he's looked pretty rough what did you think of of everything we just discussed with Tarasenko I mean thinking of the Habs game last night I thought he's definitely starting to get better I think he's starting to feel more confident definitely getting those recent goals has helped he looks like he's playing with a little more fire and last night, especially too, it looked like he was getting into scoring areas a lot more, which is something been sort of harping on him about is that he seems to be trying to play a very 200 foot game. And I like that. And I salute you, Vladimir, but we have a problem scoring this season uh, sometimes. And it's like, I really just need you of anyone to be in the spot to score. And so it looked like last night and even the, in the Dallas game, even though it was, wasn't the best game overall, um, he's trying to get in those those quieter areas to score a little bit. It's always been annoying on the power play to see him up by the blue line. I think last night he tried to take like a big slap shot from there, and I think he just kind of caught the ice more the top of the puck, but it's the slowest slap shot ever. And it didn't really, it was just a signal in my mind when I was like, man, just get off the blue line. Like, this isn't where you're supposed to be. Um, but I've noticed more and more in the power play that he's kind of sneaking down a little closer. So, 
I think he's been getting better, but yeah, to say that means that he's, like you said, have been doing just so poor to begin the season or the middle of the season here. It, he's still got it. I don't think you forget how to score goals, especially if you're Vladimir Tarasenko. It's just a matter of how do you, you never thought you'd have to say this, but how do you, how do you get that magic out of him again? You know, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm not an expert on coaching, but he certainly seems to be a different player this year. And obviously, I mean, he's so he had 40 goals three years ago, then 39, then 33, and now he's down to um, 12 so far on the season, which is about a 24 goal pace. Something's happening here. You know, and I, and I'm not really yeah. in favor of trading him. I mean, in my heart, I want more than anything for him to be the player that lifts the cup for this team. You know, just because I I think he's he's a wonderful human being and he seems to love the city so much. Um, but if it's not gonna happen, let's not belabor the point. You know, I mean, I guess for for lack of a of a better way to describe it, I just. I don't want, you know, if there's if there's huge value out there for him, which there should be on his contract and with his track record, and he is not a part of the answer here in St. Louis, then it might be time to move on before that no-trade clause kicks in. But I really, I don't mm-hmm. want to see it in my heart, but my head is starting to think that it's more and more possible. Yeah, this is definitely the, the most possible. It's been, we kind of talked about with Petrangelo and, Tarasenko before it just seemed like a there's just a non-starter. It was like you're gonna blow me away with the trade, and you know we're not listening unless I hear that. But now it's more like all right, the the lines are open. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, it was already kind of reported earlier that you know Tarasenko, there's or I should say Armstrong has been listening to offers on Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean that like he likes any of them or he's out there asking for them, but it's like he's fielding them. So that yeah. should just say something more than when he hasn't been. Yeah, there's always kind of the even Gretzky was traded lo- logic in hockey, but we're a little bit beyond that now. Uh, so let's talk about someone who I think maybe uh, is in kind of a weird space for the Blues, uh, and that's Jaden Schwartz. Obviously, he's also been injured a lot this season, but he returned on uh, December 11th. He played 13 games uh, at eight points. Um, a goal and seven assists, nothing on the power play, 43 shots, his average 20, uh, 56 in the month of January. Uh, on the season, he has 28 games, three goals, 14 assists, and is a plus two. Uh, he's got a 1.3 point share and is a 55% Corsi 4 percentage. I think his problem, I think Schwartz's problem this season has been sort of scoring goals. Uh, his shooting percentage is an abysmal 4.1%, which obviously is not anywhere close to, you know, his standard or anyone, any good goal scorer's standard. With that said, I still think this team really does seem to be different with him in the lineup than without. Uh, and I I don't think I would trade him unless someone is really offering you just really great value in return for him. Um, yeah, I mean, how do you feel about Schwartz? Yeah, to me, it's more just an off year for him than the other two, than Petrangelo or Tarasenko, where for them, I I don't know, something about it was just, it's more like, a, we were saying, it's more like wondering if they need 
should be traded or what you get back in a trade. I think you get a fair amount for Jaden Schwartz, but I also don't think he's someone I need to see go. It's odd to say that of those three, mm-hmm. but I just think this might just be a down year for him. He's definitely looks like he's playing better more recent or recently. He looked really good last night. Um, seems to have a lot more hop to his game recently and him and Shem seem to have a little more chemistry as well too. Uh, kind of like last season. So I'm willing to wait on him. It's just kind of annoying because sometimes he seems to be the type where when he does seem a little more lax days goal, which I think he's done more this year than other years. I, it'd be hard. You'd be hard pressed to see me say Jane Schwartz has not been trying in other seasons. And I think this season it's looked a little more like that. So it's been frustrating in that sense, but I think he's slowly starting to get it going again. And I've sort of said that about almost all these guys as we're, as we're starting to trend upwards a little as a team, but I think he's someone that, like we talked about, like you mentioned already, is sort of an engine, and I don't think you want to get rid of that because I don't really know if we have an engine player to replace him. Unless it's Clem Costin. Uh, (laughs) Schwartz is another player who has a modified no-trade clause kicking in after this season. He's got two years after this one left on his deal at 4-3, or $5.3 million, excuse me. And, I mean, obviously that's a very team-friendly deal. Nobody's going <coughs> to have any problem accepting that if they're trading for it. Uh, I think the longer term, if the boys hold on to him, I'm, I'm curious. And I th- I feel like Schwartz is one of those players, and maybe it's because he's so underrated, uh, that this has been true his whole career. I really have no idea what a contract for him looks like if you're signing one again in three years. I mean, with the injuries that he struggles with and the inconsistency, you would think maybe like $7 million a year? I don't know. I don't, What do you think about that? Six for seven or yeah, something like it, that? Is it is it three years from now when he's going to sign? Yeah, it'll be 2021-22, I think, is his first season on the new deal. Um, I think by then he'll probably be, he'll be for over seven, but I don't think it'll be... It's not going to be nine or anything crazy, you know? No, I don't know. No, I think at most you're talking, oh, God. See, I don't really know. It's like numbers going to shoot out everywhere. But I, I also don't think it could be even over eight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say between seven and eight. Yeah, that's probably right. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to a real scapegoat uh, in the eyes of the fans, at least Alexander Steen. He's also been injured some this year, which is becoming a theme. Um, he had two games after the comments in November, one goal minus one with nine shots. In December, he had 11 games, no goals, four assists. He was a plus three. He took only 15 shots in 11 games, which is a little bit worrisome, uh, and he averaged about 18 minutes on the ice. And then in January, he had three. he's had three games. I mean, this, again, is a couple days old, but no points. Uh, he was a plus one. He had six shots, 11.33 average time on ice, but that was because he left early in the third game. Oh, he actually has been injured since then, so these stats are up to date on him. Uh, On the season, he has six goals, nine assists, 15 points in 32 games. He's a minus one. He has a 1.3 point share, a 53.9% Corsi 4, which is actually above his career mark, and a 4.0 relative Corsi 4 percentage, uh, also way above his career mark. So for those who want to 
say, you know, that Steen is dragging his line mates down or too slow to keep up with the game anymore. I mean, I think the numbers don't bear that out, depending on how much faith you put in advanced metrics like Corsi for. Um, but he has missed a couple a couple periods with injuries. He's out again two weeks with shoulder injury. Uh, he takes a lot of heat from the fans. His contract is bad. Uh, he's got basically the same contract as as Schwartz, but a little more expensive. There's two more years after this one at five point seven five million with a full no trade clause, which I think becomes a partial and like the final month of the, like right before the trade deadline of the final year there, uh, which is something Armstrong does a lot, which is clever, but um, ultimately not all that important. And so I think, uh, I think with Steen, uh, the question has to do with like, how long do you think the Blues stick with him and how long, uh, I, I don't know. What's his future in St. Louis, I guess, is the question I'm asking. I think for Steen, it's how much, for me, how his body can hold up. I think mm-hmm. it was always the better option to keep him over Bacchus just because he's seen less hard miles than Bacchus, but he has seen hard miles. I don't think we're going to be able to move on from him with the fact that he has that full no trade clause unless you're able to send them unless I should say it put it this way unless we really stink and we're able to sort of sell him on a up-and-coming team that needs a veteran presence where he could go win a cup I think so long as we're kind of always in the hunt he'll be on this team and honestly even though he's getting paid 5.75 uh, per year those next two years I think he's still I don't know I think he's kind of worth the money sometimes I know he's the supposed cancer in the locker room. I don't see it. I don't know. Like, I really don't. Like, when I look at it on the ice and people talk about him in the locker room and granted no one's just going to trash this guy in the media, I just don't see it. If that's what it is, then get him out of there as fast as you can, as best you can. But until I see it, I still think he plays a valuable role on this team. When he's going, he's never going to be... I don't know if he ever even cracked. Did he crack 30 goals? He did at least once. He's gotten close at least twice or three times. um, I don't think he's ever going to get to that mark again, but I think you're getting a guy that's still like a 40-point player um, in his mid-30s that's, oddly enough, even though he might be the cancer, is kind of a leader. Yeah, and I think, I mean, when you talk about trading him, it's a really complex trade situation and I don't think a trade is extra, very likely at all because first you've got to find a team that wants that contract at 5.7 mm-hmm. for two more years then you've got to sell him on waiving it which he really you know he said he really loves St. Louis and wants to stay here I think he's he's recently married and all that so that's going to be hard too and I just don't you know unless Unless there's a situation where maybe Winnipeg decides they want his veteran presence, you know, since they're the team his dad played for, maybe he agrees to go there. But yeah, I'm sure there are other teams he'd agree to go to if if it was the right fit. But I just I think it's more likely that he retires here. And I hope, you know, I, I said this about Jay Bomeister when he scored that goal. Uh, on Twitter the other day. Well, he scored the goal on the ice, but I said it on Twitter. <laughs> um, and uh, 
you know, I just said I was, I'm really glad to see that he has kind of turned his season around because he really did a lot of yeoman and kind of unappreciated work for this team for five years before he got kind of injured and, and slowed down a bit with age. And I would have hated to see that just sort of end in sort of smoke, you know, just end embarrassingly the way he was playing earlier in the season. And so I was super glad to see that he was turning it around. And all of that is a thousand times truer for Alex Steen. I mean, when you talk about Steen, you're talking about probably, I don't, without stretching a top 10 or 15 player in the history of this franchise, I mean, and just considering the numbers of games he's played here, the player, the mm-hmm. caliber of player he's been over the length of his career, I mean, and the relative lack of stars this franchise has had. Uh, but, but I mean, so, and that's not an insult to Steen, but, like, he's a really significant player who's played his whole career for the Blues, and I don't want the final chapter of that story to be the fans hating him and his contract being too much and him slowly aging and breaking down. So I hope whatever the case is, you know, whether it ends up to be a trade or or whether it, he stays here and plays it out. I just hope it's done with dignity and that he gets to have, you know, ultimately kind of the, the memory of being a blue that he deserves to have and, and gets to be celebrated by this fan base going forward long term. Um, want to move on to Pareko or should we, do you want to have anything else to say about Steen? It, sometimes it just amazes me that kind of the year I got more into the blues was a, where a lot of this core started in like the 0809 season. Yeah. That was like Oshi and Berglund's first um, season in the league. And it was also, it was Perron's second and he's, you know, been back and forth and they had just traded for Steen. I think, I don't know if it was, I don't know. It was an early, earlier in the season trade. Cause I think the first game I went to that season was like in November at some point. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, I don't know who any of these people are more or less other than the Eric Johnson. And I think Manny Legacy. <laughs> and nice. um, I just remember like, Steen, huh? That's interesting. I wonder if he's like just a third line plug. And maybe at the time he kind of was uh-huh. for that team. But it amazes me that that's what I used to think and like the trajectory he kind of went on through his career here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tangentially related, I think Carlo Koliakovo was one of the players that, former players that sort of took aim at Quim Constant. Quim Costin over the weekend, so uh, that's a little fun fact for you. But anyway, I'll... that's because even watching uh, bad words be said on TV bruise Carlo Koliakovo's bones. <laughs> he did have sporty bones. You're right. <laughs> Jesus, like trademark clothes. Um, Colton Pareko, uh, our very own Carlo Koliakovo. I kid, I kid, <laughs> angry mob. I'm joking. I don't want to get pitchforked. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about Pareko this season. Uh, November after the call out, five games a goal. He was even on the plus minus. He had a minus two game and a minus three game, but he also had a plus two game and a plus three game. Uh, he had 11 <laughs> shots, uh, and he was, between 22 and 25 minutes time on 
nice. In <coughs> December, pretty nice season, th- or pretty nice month. 13 games, 3 goals, no assists, negative 3 on the plus minus, but he had 31 shots and he played 24 minutes uh, of average ice time in Petrangelo's absence. And then in January, he's had 4 games, a goal, three uh, plus 3, 16 shots and 24 minutes of ice time. Now, an interesting fact I learned, he has 3 assists on the season and his last was November 9th. Uh, he has played every game this season so far. Eight goals to go with the three assists. On the whole, he's a plus three, which is nice. He's got a 3.3 point share, which may be best on the team. I'll have to do more digging for that. Uh, and he has 22, point, 22 minutes and 52 seconds average time on ice. His Corsi four is a, a little bit worrisome. I think he's, he's a 50.2% and a minus 0.2 relative Corsi four, but uh, nothing that you know you want to split hairs over and he does have three game winning goals including at least one in overtime this season uh i so i want to i want to tread carefully here uh because i've been accused of hating on colton pareko this week and i i'm not i don't think i don't want to be that guy uh but i pareko seems like a guy who's inconsistent to me who's treated as if he's not inconsistent i mean there are some games where he looks really incredible and like the stalwart uh top arguably top pairing defenseman that he is thought of by some thought of as by some and then there are other games where it looks like he's still a sort of a baby giraffe trying to stand up for the first time on skates and i just i had i had someone tell me this week that he has chris pronger al mckinnis potential and with due respect to that person to me that's insane just no. Because, just and mostly not not as an insult to Pareko, mostly because of how phenomenally and insanely good Pronger and McKinnis are. You know, I don't mm-hmm. Pareko. We keep we keep thinking he's the puck moving offensive defenseman that is the wave of the future, and yet he has a he's on pace for twenty one points this season. He has three assists, and I know some people said, well, that's the team around him, but no, it isn't. And we all were yelling at Patrick Bergwin last year for having no primary assists, so we can't pick and choose when that's a problem, you know? Um, I had somebody point out that he is incredible at getting the puck out of the zone, but I also distinctly remember a number of plays that were goals against specifically because he couldn't clear the puck. Now, maybe those are all the mistakes he's made this season, and I don't am not remembering any of the good ones, and I'm really not being sarcastic. It's possible that that's partly true, but I where do you stand on Pareko? Because to me, he's a guy that I think the fans view extremely highly, and even some people uh, in the league view very highly. I mean, Greg Wyshynski this week on the ESPN on Ice podcast said that he would trade Vladimir Tarasenko 10 times before he traded Colton Pareko. So where do you stand on Pareko, and am I the idiot? And please tell me if I am, (laughs) because I'm used to being one anyway. No, I, I... I value Colton Pareko highly because, and I think this is probably what fans see in the league sees, is that he's, you know, a six foot five, six foot six 
defenseman, right-handed shot, which is very valuable. Size is valuable. The shot's valuable. Um, who had a really good rookie season. Has never quite gotten back to that point, at least offensively. But plays plays a nice two-way game, generally. But I think when you watch him closely, I'm agreeing with Steven here that it's, you know, it's a little inconsistent. There's large stretches where he does well. This is not the Jake Allen inconsistency. I like Colton Pareko, but there are stretches where he most certainly I've seen to cannot get the puck out of the zone or just isn't able to separate the guy in front of the net away from the eyes of the goalie mm-hmm. and just has sometimes decides that the length of a stick, which is beyond regulation as we know, but is, <laughs> but is within regulation um, <laughs> breaks the rules while following the rules. Um, he kind of relies on it maybe a little too heavily when someone's skating into the zone backing in kind of trying to poke it away from him when it's like, you're a huge guy, dude, at least, I don't know, stand up and take away the eyesight, take away the shot, try and get in their face. Um, I'm not a, an NHL goal or an NHL defenseman. It just seems like if it's like one guy skating on two of you and you're the closest guy, maybe just try and get in and rough him up a little. Um, I think when people say he has the potential to be like Pronger and McKenna's, I just say no. <laughs> like you said, they're just so good. His potential to be a really good defenseman, but also you're—I don't want to say running out of time because he's got his whole career ahead of him. But it's also like sort of like the Jake Allen thing. Um, he's not as old as Jake Allen, but where is the where is this crazy pronger McKenna's magic? And you made this point to me before we started recording. Where is that like going to come from? Is that coming in like the fifth or sixth year? Yeah, I just don't think so. And again, like he's already a very valuable right-handed defenseman who's on an insanely team-friendly contract. So it's I'm not trying to bury the guy, but this yeah. he's 25 years old. He's in his fourth professional season, and I think some people still kind of look at him like a prospect, you know. And I I just I don't get that he maybe is just on the fringes of entering his prime. Maybe he technically hasn't entered his prime yet, but I don't think it's reasonable to say, well, he's still going to sprout and become 10 times better than he already is, or even, you know, twice as good as he already is. It's possible. I guess it's possible. You know, Jordan Bennington's 25 and just made his first ever NHL start. So it's not like he's over the hill, hockey speaking, but I just, I don't see where this, magic like you said kind of magical growth into a pronger or mckinnis or even a you know a brent burns or a victor hedman or an eric carlson is going to come from uh with that said you know i you'd have to pay me a king's ransom to trade him on that contract i mean i just demand it even if i'm not you know i'm not as in love with him as everyone else is and you'd still have to absolutely pay me through the nose uh, i think it's more likely at present that petrangelo will be traded and you'd keep that contract uh but who knows i mean i think one of those guys if either of them goes, the other one has to be planned to stay long-term. There's no way you're trading them both unless you're bringing in two right-handed defensemen in the process. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Maybe you con uh, Tom Dundon out of both Justin Falk and Dougie Hamilton and just start your right side over again. But uh, You can buy defense. Yeah, you can ex- buy two defenders. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but in any case... Um, 
Let's move on to Jake Allen, and we don't really have to say more here than has already been said. Uh, we can just I'll talk a little bit about some of the numbers. Uh, on the season, he's 14, 14, and 4. Uh, he has an 896 save percentage, which puts him 55th in the league of all goaltenders. Uh, I tried to figure out how to do it amongst goalies that had started 15 games or more, and it was hard, so I didn't. So <laughs> if anyone knows how to do that, you're welcome to let me know. Uh, and he's third, 307th in goals against, or he is three, he has a 307 goals against average, which puts him 54th. Uh, his quality start percentage, the two kind of more advanced metrics I look at are quality start percentage and goals saved above average. Uh, his quality start percentage is 5.515, which puts him 36th in the league. A quality start is any start with a save percentage that's higher than the average save percentage for the year, uh, or is at least 88.5% on nights where he faces fewer than 20 shots. So that'd be two saves on 20 shots or two goals on 20 shots or let, or, or fewer. Um, and obviously quality start percentage is how many of your starts meet those requirements. So he's 515 on that, which is just over 50%, uh, but 53% is considered average-ish, you know, okay, decent. Uh, so he's below that and obviously not great there. Uh, and then the one that's really worrisome is goals saved above average. Uh, these are the goals that this goalie prevented given his save percentage and shots faced versus the league average save percentage on the same number of shots. So if you face 45 per 45 shots and the league average save percentage on 45 shots is 960 or whatever it would be because 45 is a hell of a lot of shots 925 whatever and you say you know you get the point but anyway uh, his goal saved above average is minus 10.94 so that puts him 64th in the league and is uh, I think that's a number that best sort of quantifies that he's really not like he's not fine you know (laughs) he's not he's not a good goalie that's screwed by his team he's a pretty bad goalie uh that's being outperformed by almost every other goalie in the league um what are you you, i mean we obviously talked about him a lot before do you have any other thoughts on alan he has started the fourth most games uh but what do you think about him obviously that we haven't already said yeah i think just with the I think with the stats you threw out there, and especially with him being fourth in games play, that's just one of those things where not only is he not all that great, but now it's he's being completely exposed. Mm-hmm. So you got to find you got to find a way to keep that from happening, or something we didn't really talk about, um, or you keep playing him because you want, because you want that top ten pick. There you uh, go, baby. Uh, personally, and I'm torn because I really want anytime Jordan Bennington's in there for them for him to win for it to be kind of another nail in the the coffin of Jake here, where it's just like, I, you know, it's clear that we need to move on and we have someone we can move on to basically, but also at the same time, like I really want to keep that tap. I really want to tap 10 pick. And so it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I wish Jake the best, but it's just, it, it's not clicking. It's not clicking here. I don't know if it's going to click somewhere else. I don't know what his future is, but it just, it can't be here. It can't be here to the end of that contract. Like, for sure. 
I agree. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, we don't need to pile on any more than we already have. I just, I don't know how you get rid of him at this point, but if you can, you got to do it. And even if that's a buyout, you got to look at it. Uh, Joel Evanson, we'll kind of move a little quicker through these guys since they're less certain parts of the core. Core, you're not looking at, that. you're not looking at Evanson for his point contribution necessarily uh in november in those five games after the press conference he had two assists minus one and 10 shots in 11 games in december he was a minus nine which is yikes he had 18 shots and no points but he played 21 minutes of ice time he did pretty well i think kind of playing up on the on the first pairing with Pareko. uh and then in the three games that we measured in january he had he was a minus one again had nine shots and a 15 26 average time on ice with ice with that one healthy scratch um 36 games this season he has one goal six assists is a minus seven and has one point share he's got a 49.7 percent Corsi four percentage and a minus 0.9 relative Corsi four percentage uh but he's up to 20.818 average time on ice uh from his career mark of around 18 uh and man i just i don't know about I don't know about Eddie because maybe I'm irrationally fond of him. You know, we were at his first goal, so we have a spiritual connection with him or something. <laughs> That's like right. That. Um, but I think he's a fine second pairing left-handed defenseman slash penalty killer. Uh, but I don't really think that he's necessarily an ideal top pairing guy in today's day and age. Uh, you know, and I think. It's interesting to me, we've got, I believe Scott Perunovich is left-handed. Is that correct? Do you know that off the top of your head? Uh, I've, I would guess that he is. I will look it but. up. But Vince Dunn certainly is. And is Jake Wallman also lefty? Uh, I think Jake Wallman. Oh, or man. is he our I one thought. right-handed defenseman? I can never remember. We either have all lefties and one righty in oh. the pipeline. We all have we have all lefties is what it is. So so Perunovich like- Perunovich is a lefty, and I'll look up mm-hmm. Jake Wallman. But you know, I like I I still like Wallman even though he's not developing maybe as fast. Yeah, he's also a lefty as you'd hope he would be. Um, but even if it's just Dunn and Perunovich, who I think are are both really serious kind of power play puck moving defensemen, I wonder if Edmondson has a a super long-term future here. I hope he kind of does, but if it depends on what he's going to get paid this summer, uh, what are you thinking about Joel Evanson right now? Yeah, I, I think if I had to guess that we'll, we'll pay him, you know what, I don't know what the number will be, but something that's fine for both sides, obviously. And I think that will be the contract that he would get traded on. If he does, Mm -hmm. I think really it's, and I have a weird feeling in my head that he either gets traded on this next contract that's upcoming or, or he's oddly like enough, he's here player. for life. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think like, that's kind of sensible. He kind of seems like that sort of player where he's replaceable, but you know exactly what you have with him, and it's nothing, nothing he does necessarily is like awful or there's not any huge glaring mistakes. So you know what? We're just going to keep going with him year in, year out because he's fits well on the left side. He can kind of play top pairing minutes when he needs to it's like you said it's not ideal he looked pretty good with Petrangelo there for a while when they were separating uh Petrangelo and Bomeister there for the last every so often these last two years um but yeah I don't think that's like a permanent position but yeah he's, he's good on the PK 
he's a little more rough and tumble. It's pretty much him and boards back there in terms of like meat on the burner. Um, so yeah. I, I like him here. It's a little bit easier to, I don't know, forgive or I think maybe judge sort of defensive defenseman because you don't have points to go off of. So really it's just, you have to sit there and think what mistakes have they made? Um, and it, it's not too many and they're kind of, they're kind of far and in between normally. Mm-hmm. So I think he's, he's fine here. There's been a few lapses like any defenseman we've had here this year, but overall I like him. Like you said, if he's, if we trade him and you get something back in return that you kind of like, I don't think it's going to be a ton necessarily. Um, that's not the worst thing in the world. I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to kill this team. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty fair. I think he's like a glorified, a, be, a much better Bortuzzo because he can play mm-hmm. up and down your lineup. He's not a goal scorer, but he's kind of got an edge and a physicality. Uh, I'd like to see him tap into that more, but I'm fine with him. I just don't have really strong opinions one way or the other. I just tend to think he's fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braden Shin is not a long-term part of this core, and I don't think he's a long-term player on this team, as much as I hate to say it. Uh, and In November, after the press conference, five games, one goal, three assists, plus two, 15 shots. Uh, in 13 games in December, he had two more goals, six more assists. He was a minus five, and we had, had about 18 minutes on the ice, no power play points. And then in January, he'd had four games, two goals, one assist, or one was a plus one, and had nine shots. On the season, on the whole, he has he had 37 games, nine goals, 15 assists. Uh, he was a minus eight, and he had a two-point two point shares, 79 shots, three game-winning goals, 18 minutes and a half on the ice, uh, 52.4% Corsi, and a 2.9 relative. Uh, I would like Braden Shin to be a long-term player on this team. I think he's got a good personality, and I think he brings a lot to the locker room. I do not think it's going to happen. The reality with Shin is he came here when the Blues were in desperate, desperate need of center help, and he thrived there in his first season. He's taken a step back this year, but I think part of that, you know, is the injury with Schwartz and just the inconsistencies of the whole team. I mean, he's been plenty fine. You know, he has... uh, 24 points in 37 games. That's nothing terrible. But he's now... I just think he's the odd man out. I love him, but he's a center on a team that has Ryan O'Reilly and Robert Thomas, who are both obviously kind of ahead of him in the eyes of the team long term. Mm-hmm. Just because you know, because of O'Reilly's contract and his overall play, and then you know uh, Thomas's age and potential, he is in the penultimate year of his contract. He's due for a raise, and unless he decides he'd rather play wing here long term than cash in uh, as a center, where he'll make more money on the open market, which is not a decision I expect him to make. I just think it's. I think the Blues need to kind of look at this as a situation where they got a guy for you know it was a, it was a, a hefty price, but it was all futures, you know, and a contract dump. And they can possibly now trade him for more than they got 
him than they traded for him, if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And they got a you know, a year and a half of really good service out of him. And really it's on Shin. I mean I think and I don't and not in any sort of negative way, but if he wants to be a part of this team long term, I think they can make that happen. And I would like to see them make that happen. But the dude kind of came into the team when it's been at its crappiest in the last several years, in the last decade or so, really. And I don't know if he'll want to stay here, you know? I mean, we we mm-hmm. talked about earlier in the season kind of the quips between him and Steen. And, and, you know, I think he's a good guy and he seems to like Steen, but... I just don't know. And if he doesn't want to be here, to me, you got to trade him now so that you don't diminish his value by waiting until he's a rental next season. You know, what do you think about him overall? Yeah, I'm with you. I really like Braden Shen here. He kind of filled the Bacchus role in a way a little bit. You know, a center that's almost kind of even though Bacchus played center here for so long, who really just shouldn't be necessarily a center. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I I wonder if if we do end up making a trade for trading out some money, and what we get back is for less money. I don't know if it ends up being you know picks more or less with Tarasenko or Petrangelo. I mean, you're hoping you're getting players back, but maybe just not players that are making that much money. If that frees up a little money down the line to give Shen when he's asking for a little bit more here, if he if he's still here, um, but if it if we don't free up that money, I think just even money wise he has to kind of be the guy that you're not going to be like well you're making five here and you're probably going to be asking for i'm guessing it's going to be james van reemsdyke sort of money you know seven seven for whatever it is seven for five or something like that and i just don't think the money itself even fits here in terms of who you got coming up if you're going to have to you know pay tarasenko more you know something around that and four years if you're going to keep a Petrangelo and pay him what's going to end up probably being, you know, just a little under nine or around nine. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't pay Braden Shen the one money he's going to want. Yeah, I think that's the reality. And I think it's really a question of it, have they tapped him as a guy that they want to restructure around? Because if they think he's such a personality that he could be, you know, a new captain or a new team leader, then maybe you trade the other guys and make him the centerpiece. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I'm not convinced he's really that caliber of player. You know, I think he's got a great personality and is a good player, but I don't know if he's your Kopitar or your Crosby or who. I mean, he's obviously not those guys in talent, but in terms of leadership, I don't know if he's the Taves, I guess, sort of guy where he's really going to take the team over. Uh, And I think that's just a decision they have to make now because I don't want them to make it this time next year and and have another Shattenkirk Sassney situation where they trade him with six months left and get minimal value. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, we can talk about Ryan O'Reilly, but what is there to say? I mean, he's 41, ga- <laughs> 41 games. He's got 16 goals, uh, well, 25 assists, because I think he got one in the 42nd game. He's a plus 10, which is up 7 since Christmas. He has had no minus games. Uh, he's 4.7 point share. He's a 52.9 Corsi 4 percentage, which is above his career high. He's a 3.7 relative. He's a 58.2% faceoff percentage, which is insane. Uh, he's going to the All Star game. The trade in hindsight is just 
preposterously lopsided. Uh, <laughs> I talked to Anthony Chandra, who we're hoping to have back on in the near future, uh, our friend who's a correspondent for several sites with the Az, and he was just kind of asking to send Saboka and, and Thompson back. Um, and I think, I think Thompson still has a bright future, but you know, I think the, I think a lot of the Sabres fans and maybe even the Sabres team sort of convinced themselves that he was real high, you know, immediately NHL ready. And I just don't think that was ever the case. I think there was sort of a reason he didn't get a consistent shot with this team last year. Um, mm-hmm. And so, Right now, you're looking at Berglund, who left. Saboka, who's been awful. I mean, so, 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 so bad. Uh, Thompson, who's been not particularly good, but is at least young. And a first-round pick that they might not even get till next year. And then, like, a second and a third if that pick gets delayed. I mean, they have the second either way. But, like, that value for the player we've got is insane. Uh, you have anything to add on O'Reilly? Just I, I texted Jordan, um, our friend who's the Avs correspondent, and I just said, "There's really I didn't expect to love watching Ryan O'Reilly play quite as much as I have." And it really, I mean, he's just a special, special player. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I whenever I watch him play, I think this is like a third line player on like steroids because mm-hmm. like he has skill. I'm not saying he doesn't have skill, but I'm just saying like, it's just the work mentality. He's not even necessarily overly physical, but he's just always on the puck. He's such a puck hound. He's all over any other player that has the puck. He's getting the puck. He's dishing it to people. He's in the right spots. He's at like the front of the net. He's able to find people in open areas. It's just, it's insane. What a complete player he is. Like you said, it's really just this weird tier of like elite right under elite or like elite, but in just a very different way. I don't think there's that many players that are elite in the way that he is. You have a lot of guys that are either it's elite because of speed or it's elite because of, you know, skating or they put it all together and it's elite because of this offensive package. And I mean, he's got, what is this? If he's got 25 assists, then he's at like a literally a point per game pace here. Mm. Um, and even though he's like that, it's like I'm not sitting there thinking, man, he's just, you know, scoring right and left. And the way he scores are in all these just different ways, too. You know, I mean, the, none of them are really ever these flashy plays. It's a lot of slap shots are just in close. And he's had his really interesting backhand. He seems to use that an awful lot more than I see other players use it. And, yeah, he's just kind of this weird, amazing Swiss Army knife of a player. And it's like I kind of knew that coming in. But I had almost tried to convince myself, having not watched him too much, I'm like, well, he's going to be more of like your typical sort of first line, very offensive um, centerman that's really going to be, you know, all skill for offense. But then people are saying, well, he's very good defensive center. And I was like, okay, sure. And then watching it, I'm like, wow, this is, it's unlike any other sort of player I've seen, at least in my bigger fandom of as a Blues fan these last, you know, 10, 11 years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's special. Yeah, I mean, he's just, he doesn't do anything other than face-offs at an elite level, but there's literally nothing that he doesn't do either well or very well. You know, Mm -hmm. he's a good skater. He's not a great skater, but he's a good skater. He's an amazing passer. He does, I mean, 
and he works so hard to improve himself and improve his game that you could see him being a guy that has a ton of longevity, you know, because first of all, he doesn't play a very physical game. And second of all, he's such a hard worker to, you know, especially in the offseason and everything, that I just think mm-hmm. he's a really, really extraordinary presence on this team. I don't know about the locker room stuff. I know, you know, he's been chased from two teams, so maybe that'll happen in the <coughs> long run here, too. Um, but right now, it's a fun ride, and I think we should just enjoy it. Uh, so with that, I mean... I, I think next week we can talk about the new arrivals and some of the prospects and youngsters. We talked a lot about Bennington already, but maybe hopefully he'll have a few more games before next week that we can kind of analyze him uh, more fairly. Uh, the final thing we should probably touch on is the Sergei Bobrovsky story. Um, for those of you that haven't heard, Sergei Bobrovsky, who is the only two-time Vesna runner uh, in the last 20 years or so other than Tim Thomas, uh, had... An incident with the Columbus Blue Jackets, he was sent home from the team and suspended for a game, basically because of a violation of team conduct policies. It was one of those typical NHL situations that's shrouded in mystery, but the best going theory is that he had kind of a screaming match with John Tortorella, which is not hard to imagine, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, ended up, you know, kind of being sent home after a road trip. He's not having the best season. He's in the final year of his contract. Uh, he is a pending free agent who is, probably isn't re-signing in Columbus at this point. Ian, what do you think about the Sergei Bobrovsky situation? It's just very, I don't know, it's just very weird to me because I'd never peg um, players from Europe or you know across the ocean as ever being sort of hotheads and I still don't think Bobrovsky is I mean maybe anyone could be a hothead when you're arguing with Tortorella but it it just seems kind of odd I never really thought of Bobrovsky as someone that this would happen to but I've never really looked into him that much and it's sort of percolated throughout this season and sort of going into this being his contract year that they were saying there were just some interesting things about basically him saying he didn't really think he was going to sign there I think they asked if he was going to sign there or if there been any contract talks, they pretty much was saying, "Oh, we don't, we're not talking about that." And so it's like, well, that doesn't sound very promising. And so this slowly sort of happened uh, with his season not being so great, and it's it's just kind of odd to me. It came even though it was slowly going that way, this blow up came out at a left field, and then he had pictures on his Instagram. I think of him like at home in sweats, being like, "Here I am," mm-hmm. like you know, I'm not at practice because they don't want me here, sort of thing. And it's like, okay. Over. To me, that was like the real like nail in the coffin. It was like, oh, so he's like gone, gone. But I don't know if you like trade him. I don't know what they do with him this season, if anything. I guess you could just lose him and the summer. And I guess maybe that's a positive because then he's just gone, addition by subtraction. But you'd kind of hope you get something for him. But what do you get for him when he sounds like, at least in their organization, he was kind of a trouble player, you know? So you can't really ask for the moon exactly, especially because whatever team's getting them is only getting them for, you know, two and a half months or less. And on top of that, as a blues fan, I just think of the Ryan Miller trade, which I liked at the time, but it's like, and I'm like, is anyone really going to trade for 
a goalie at the deadline. And by the way, still wasn't the disaster that people want to make it out to be, but that's another topic for another time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't, I'm less and less excited about the possible link between the Blues and Mabrowski because it will cost a ton uh, either to trade for him or just sign him as a free agent. And I'm not sure, I, I, if he was a no-doubter, if there were no questions, I'd go for it. He's a very extraordinarily good goalie most of the time. Uh, but he has some seasons where he's not great, and he's got the lingering playoff questions because he seems to disappear there. And it's just enough, you know, and now the personality thing too, there are just enough question marks there to make me not want to commit at eight years for $8 million or whatever it'll be. Um Especially when you can, you know, maybe get a cheaper option like Sergei Varlamov, who does a lot of the same things well. Overall, though, I mean, it's just a strange situation. And I feel bad for Columbus, the team I basically like, because they're going to probably lose both of those guys. And I just want, I just don't want to see that. Uh, Ian, why don't we close on this? Uh, this is a... Um, this is a trade proposition from Kevin R. on The Athletic. He says... Oh, I was hoping it was a platitude. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll, I'll end, we'll end with a platitude. But before Excellent. that, he says... Uh, so someone asked Jr. Jr. if he if we should trade for Bobrovsky, and he says I wouldn't go there. He's a very good goalie, but to me his price tag this summer will be too high for the concern involved. When I say concern, I'm referring to whether he can produce in the playoffs and a little bit of the personality questions. So sort of what I just said, and then Kevin R. responds, Why not go for Bob and Panarin? Bob Panarin and Jones. That would be world-class defenseman Seth Jones, for those of you keeping track at home. For Braden Shin, Jake Allen, lots of trade value there, Alex <laughs> Petrangelo, Pat Maroon, and a pick. Ian, would you accept the Blues trading for uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, Artemi uh, Pernarin, and Seth Jones for Braden Shin, Jake Allen, Alex Petrangelo, Pat Maroon, and a pick? Like, what? <laughs> like, what? I mean, um, you certainly would, I'll, right? But... I'll, I'll, what's Seth Jones' contract? Am I getting too specific? Am I just supposed to say yes or no? I mean, I don't care what you say because there's no world in which the, <laughs> yeah, the, <whole laughs> the Blue Jackets even begin to entertain that trade. Uh, Seth Jones has a $5.4 million deal through 2022. But I just... Oh, God. That's like... That alone, they're like, we're not... He's out of the package. I love that he's like, why not go for Bob and Panarin, which is like at least somebody's going to pursue that trade. There will be discussions along those lines. And then he sort of throws in Jones. You know? Something to even out the Petrangelo leaving. That, <laughs> that would be like if uh, if somebody was talking about a Blues trade right now and they were like, why not go for Petrangelo and Shin? And then they were like, you know, we'll give them, let's say it's a Carolina Hurricane fan, we'll give them uh, Netches a first Falk um, and Curtis McElhaney for Shin, Petrangelo, and Thomas. It's no problem, you know? It's just, <laughs> <ugh>. <laughs> This fan base is going crazy, but at least let's let's finish with this. Uh, I'll always remember 
I once had a conversation with with Jordan Jordan Bennington's father, and he told me that uh, the thing about his son is the thing about all goaltenders, really, and really all people tasked with preventing negative outcomes, uh, <laughs> is that when you don't screw up, you don't learn. And so I've always said, <laughs> is this tortured enough? I've always remembered that, and I carry it forth with me into life. Uh, folks, Jordan Bennington is here. He is the future. He is our savior. We probably haven't talked about him enough on this podcast, but we're very excited. Uh I think he should just be our starter now. If the plan is to win, I'd like to lose, but... Jordan Winnington. Exactly. So with that, uh, we'll call it a day, and we'll see you next week. Are we on Thursday next week, Ian? You're the you're the schedule master. <laughs> I say yes. <laughs> okay. So we'll talk to you again on Thursday. Thank you for tuning in to this long and convoluted mess, and sayonara. Keep it toasty. <laughs>